get it going. It's time to get up. It's obviously going to be a little different. I, I played there for for quite some time. I'm going to see a lot of a lot of faces that I, I grown to like around the arena. Brian Burke. You can't complain not to get kicked in the groin. Are you raised under high power transmission lines and stuff. <laughs> I've never been accused of being delicate. God, I, I'm going to kill this guy when I get off the phone. I'm not wasting my 15 minutes in Vancouver every Thursday debating with an idiot. Terry Silkowski sucked tonight. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. It's game day! This is the starting lineup with James Sobolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is game day here in the city on this Thursday, February 11th. This is the starting lineup here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. What's going on, boys and girls? It's freezing outside. Man, it is like the other side of the Rockies right now. James Sabalski here. Perry Solkowski there. Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass here with you until 9 o'clock this morning as the Canucks resume their season tonight after a couple of days off, opening up a critical four-game set against the Calgary Flames. And, Pear, I am working with somebody today. It sounds like you're, you're playing hurt today. You're, you're, you're tired. Hold on. Let's not, let me, I'm not Tom Brady. I mean, I'm not Tom Brady this morning. You know what I can't believe? You know, we we look at our schedule and some nights, like, oh, Canucks game, okay, we'll be up late, we'll listen to post games, we'll get it all together, Canucks in a song, we're set for that. But the last couple of days to have a break, I think social distancing has been good for everybody to get away from this team. So I'm taking it excellent, I'm in bed early, done all my work, then I turn the TV on, there's nothing on, and then I see Macklemore. And I go, okay, like, who's that? At first, it's a guy dressed in lime green, and I'm watching the Golf Channel, and it's like, all right. And Jim Nance says, there's Macklemore. Oh, Macklemore. And there's Macklemore about to hit out of the rough. I'm like, what am I watching? And then Macklemore, if you've seen Charles Barkley golf, it's like that. Like, he takes forever. Then he's going to swing. Then he doesn't swing. Then he's going to swing. Then he backs off because, I uh, know, like, my, my body's doing things and my head's not telling me to do. And then he swings it, and it's awful. And I got sucked in. as like binge-watching. I'm watching a, a Golf Channel Show from Pebble Beach, where, by the way, Nick Taylor Abbotsford starts to defend today. It was for half a million dollars. Uh, you had Larry Fitzgerald, who from the Arizona Cardinals, who I, I did an event with him here. He quietly flew in years ago to Westwood Plateau and talked. Macklemore. It was Bill Murray, who's funny. A couple ladies who I had to Google who they were. Like, he was awful, James. It was like a train wreck. You had to watch him. I did. And the next thing you know, I go, oh, my God, it's like 1130. But. Yeah, I was not I was not ready for Macklemore's golf swing. I am ready for some hockey tonight. You're ready to go, and uh, hopefully the Canucks are ready to go because it kind of feels like the season is on the line for this team. Um, you know, great way to try to get back into it or a way to kind of expose what you've been essentially for the first, what, 30% of the season here, Pear, uh, just struggling. You know, 6-10 and 10 on the year. Only three of the, those three wins or three of those six wins coming at the expense of the Ottawa Senators. So it hasn't been pretty when you're matching up against legit competition when we've talked about, what, six of the seven teams have kind of got some sort of, you know, playoff contender sort of hope, expectations based on what we saw from the Canucks last year. I think the Jets feel that way, the Flames, the Oilers, obviously the Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. How, how good was that game last night? And by the way, how good are the Leafs right now? I mean, yeah. they, they did the same thing to the Habs last night in that third period, 
to what they did to the Canucks on Monday night, right? They flipped the switch in that third period, and boom, boom, just like that. Two quick goals in less than a minute. And now they needed a little more than 11 seconds, but they only needed 45 seconds to get two quick ones against the Habs and skate off with a 4-2 victory with the added empty netter. But, man, the Leafs, you talk about that firepower, man, and it wasn't even their big stars. And three guys with their first goal of the season last night, Pear. It's that, that team is good right now. It's kind of funny. We've been in this business a long time. You don't really cheer for anyone. You root for the Canucks as you get to know people, and that's who you cheer for. I grew up a Leafs fan, though, and I hated the Montreal Canadiens. And just over the last couple of years, and maybe it's because of Brendan Gallagher connections and everything, you go, ah, you know, good on this team. They've suffered a long time. I like what Montreal has done. I found myself going, ah, oh, really, Montreal? Like, get it done. Uh, but as you said, credit to the Leafs. What they have built there, they got some good goaltending. Hey, those two are the best two teams in, in the North Division. And, and this is why I think, and we said it two weeks ago, as the Canucks were losing to Montreal, and then getting pounded by Toronto, I'll make my decision after the Calgary series. We can go full Dennis Green, I think, as a fan base and go, okay, the Canucks are who we thought they are. Because I'm not sure who they are right now. Like, I do see the glimpse. And I go, you can't be that bad just because you lost a goalie and you kind of replaced it with some guys who can play just because you lost a, a, a guy in the blue line and a guy who really wasn't with you when you had the success in the bubble. You can't be that bad. So we'll see what we get. We will see what they get. They needed to get away. We needed to get away. Six feet of social distancing, please. Now tonight, prove what you are because you will be a third of the way through the season when you're done. There's no time to say, I like the process. I thought we were better because if you're not good against Calgary, it doesn't matter if you're better. I think it's too late. Okay, quickly, I will say this. The the Canucks, I think one thing that we've kind of established, they've got a very frail psyche. Right with what they what they've gone through. I want to get to that more in a second. But you, you talked about how you kind of find yourself rooting for the Habs. It's an interesting dynamic. Just quickly here on this, because I grew up. My dad hated the Habs. Loved the Bruins. Now I wasn't a Bruins fan as a kid, but he certainly taught me to hate the Habs. But I think generationally, pair, you know, you either you either liked the Habs or you hated them. But Habs fans were the most annoying fans going for a long time because the team always won, right? You know, I think mm-hmm. in my lifetime, by the time I was 18, the Montreal Canadiens had won five Stanley Cups in my lifetime. And and now for the last almost 30 years, the Habs haven't won one, right? But they were kind of the gold standard of excellence. They're kind of like Yankees fans, right? Yeah, Randy exactly. Randy's a Yankee fans. fan. You, I mean, Randy's a Yankee fan. You worked with him for two years. I mean, you know how insufferable a Yankee fan can be, right? That, you know, then the Leafs eventually became the annoying fan base. I think you could say that Canucks fans kind of became the annoying fan base for a while here over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. But you look at how the Habs were in those days. They always won. It was easy to yeah. look at them as the villain. It was almost like a Tom Brady here in today's modern NFL. But now that they haven't won, you know, it's not, you know, they're not the bad guys anymore. They're not, they're, you know, no. they're, they're not the, the cool, cocky, bad, or, or just always winning. Like, it's tough to root against somebody who's crap all the time, right? Or, or you know, or it's, you know it's, I hate that guy because he sucks. Well, <laughs> well, you root for anyone to get out of the gutter. Yes. Right? Look at the Cubs. Now you right? want, who you doesn't want love the Cubs? to get into the gutter. Like, if, if they're driving around and they live in this bubble world and go, my God, like, money fixes everything. Go, oh, man, I, I wonder what you'd be like when you didn't have anything, right? 
But you're right. If you grew up and all the do Habs do is win, you don't like. I hated Guy Lafleur. I was crushed when I first met Guy Lafleur. He was so nice. I felt like I should apologize, <laughs> Danny. I've been swearing at you since I was ten. I don't like you. I don't like your hair. I don't like oh. anything about you. And he's the nicest guy around. I go, oh, geez, I feel bad about that. Oh, right. I know. I mean, with... The flower right? was yeah. doing an yes. event. You know, it was the same thing. The the outdoor the outdoor game, the, the the heritage game in Edmonton back in 03 covering that. And that was my first experience talking to Guy. It was the same thing. Like, man, screw Guy Lafleur. The flower. What a stupid nickname. You know, as a kid, you just you didn't like the Habs. And now, and you're right. The first time you encounter it, like, man, what a classy guy. And then a couple of years ago at the Langley Event Center, I'm seeing this Legends Night and, and Lafleur and Marcel Dion. And, man, I sat there at a dinner table with Guy Lafleur and just thinking, man, how was I not a big fan of this guy as a kid? He was awesome. Oh. And then he does the Viagra, Viagra commercial. Yo, Guy, <laughs> way to put yourself out there. Right? <laughs> It's well, he also had a disco a album circle, too, man. What yeah. a what a post career, geek! You just are doing everything. You're surprising me all the time. I got nothing but respect for you, number ten. Oh, and he had a disco album. He had some French hip hop back in the seventies, and he did it all with a dart in his mouth half the time. Like it really is. <laughs> it is incredible. Respect, Guy Lafleur. Respect. Uh, you mentioned, like, we talked about the Canucks, and, and look, we're the, from a frail psyche. There's been a lot said uh, about the Vancouver Canucks. Um, just, I, I just checked my Twitter notifications here in the last 12 hours, and um, it is a passionate fan base, to say the least. But, you know, a lot has come up about where things are at right now with this team. Quinn Hughes alluded to it earlier this week, um, just with the roster shuffle and how it has impacted this team internally beyond just the on-ice product with Markstrom and Tanev obviously going to Calgary. It became a topic of discussion yesterday with the players after practice yesterday with members of the media where it was addressed. Uh, Captain Bo Horvat took, uh, was asked about it and, and tried to clear the air to say, look, we are not pissed off at management right now. Obviously, it is tough to see guys go, but at the same time, you know, you got to move on and, and, you know, play for the team that you're playing for. I mean, you can't dwell on, on anything. And, and, you know, we got a great group of guys here and the obviously a lot of good hockey players and you know because we lost guys doesn't mean we're, we're trying to play bad I mean we all want to win here and we all want to do well so you know I, I don't think that's a theory at all I mean we're 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 just trying to win hockey games here so there's there's Bo Horvat Thatcher Demko also addressed this as well here's Thatcher Demko on the same sort of dynamic saying hey look we're not angry here you know I don't think that anyone is you know holding that against management or coach whatever I don't know what the rumor is I haven't seen anything but um guys guys are focused on winning and you know guys are they know that the business side of things is going to happen sometimes and guys are are going to leave get traded or sign somewhere else what have you and you know guys are are well aware of that and and they know that you know you got to move on and you know focus at the on on the task at hand you picking up what they're putting down no no I'm not buying that uh, I am not buying that at all, and here's why. They've never been through it. James, no matter what obstacle you get through in life, if something negative comes that you have never seen before, it takes a matter of time to adjust to it. And I think what they were saying, both of them in their respective words, was something that probably has been preached to them an awful lot in the last couple of weeks and maybe on a trip home. And I don't blame them for it, right? I mean, I don't blame Quinn Hughes, who maybe slipped a little bit on Monday when said, hey, we, we missed some guys and it's taken a while to get through it. Quinn Hughes knows we've been talking about the loss of Chris Danoff was going to affect him directly. 
And he mentioned it, and maybe he shouldn't. I think they're over it now. They have to get over it, right? you got to move on no matter what's hit you in life. If all you're going to do is sit and stew about it and go mopey and mope around, guess what? You're going to lose a lot of hockey games. I don't think they go into the dressing room thinking, oh, we're not going to win today because we don't have Markstrom. Whole piece. But that doesn't happen. But I don't buy what they said. I think it's taken them an awful lot of time to get over it. I think they're convincing themselves that they're over it, and hopefully they go. We are. But I do think that had a bigger effect on that room where they couldn't get out and go away and get away from all this poor hockey and talk it out. I do think that affected them. So I'm not buying what they're saying. I think they're saying it so they can buy into it a little more. I will say this, though, Pear. Three years ago, Daniel and Henrik Sedin left, right? And those guys controlled the room, right? So they did see there, there are some players on this hockey club that saw how the dynamic changed within the room, right? Now you had mm-hmm. guys like Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom who assumed more of a leadership role, and that turned out in a positive way. But some of those guys have seen it, right? Brock Besser's seen it. Bo Horvat's obviously seen it. Brandon Sutter's seen it. Like, there's still a lot of remaining pieces from that team uh, when Daniel and Henrik skated off. They weren't the players they once were, but though, and, and, and different types of leaders, but those guys still controlled the room, those two voices, those two leaders. My argument, James, would be they never saw it from a successful perch. I mean, the greatest night of Daniel and Henrik Sedin in the last couple of years was their final night. Mm. It was an amazing moment, right? And they played great. But it's not like that team had any success after well, 2015. But what about the 2015? Yeah, but what about so, that? I mean, that what about that fool's gold playoff appearance back in 2015? Right? You had the the one. Yeah. Round so that so that was it, and Bo Horvat was a part of it. Yeah. But 2016, 2017, it's not there. So they bond together. They see them go for a long run in the playoffs last year, and then they see a couple of guys say goodbye. So yeah, I think it's different when you've had success, and you go, all right, all we're going to do is build off it. And as, as Anthony Stewart said to us yesterday, you, you kind of take it away. I'm not surprised the Canucks are struggling like they are. So I, I think what we heard yesterday was a lot of positive self-talk, which they need. And now they have to get over it. And they will because everybody in pro sports does. But I think it hit them harder than we thought. No, I, I think that I think that's fair. I think another thing that they're looking at is the impact of the schedule and at least Travis Green for – I don't think it's been used as an excuse, but Travis Green certainly touched on it and really didn't mince words in terms of how he's viewed the schedule so far. I think it's been brutal. You know, it's a lot of games, 10 games on the road. Uh, We own the losses, though. I'm not uh, saying that we deserve to win games that we haven't, but I think the schedule has played a part of our start. It's probably cost us, you know, I don't know, a point, two, three points. Who knows how many? But I think it's affected our group uh, physically in a couple ways. So yesterday marked four weeks to the day that the Canucks had dropped the puck on this season in 2021. And they've already played 16 games, and yesterday was the first time in, a, in those four weeks, pair that they had two games, or two straight days off. Days that was off. the first time, right? They've got 16 games in 28 days. So essentially 12 days of those four weeks, they didn't have to play a game but they were still traveling around having played 10 games on the road and only six games here. Uh, you know, in, in fairness, it does sound like an excuse, right? It, it does sound like an excuse, but, and, and a lot of, we've talked to a lot of former players to say, Hey, you know what? I don't, I don't think it's a fair excuse. I think a lot of guys like to just get back and keep playing. Um, but 
it seems to have impacted this team. Look at the numbers, right? It, it's not just that this team's losing close games. This team's been buried more times than not. Uh, I was surprised he went there, but I, I agree with that. I think it's facts. They play one more game than the Oilers right now, but I, I think the travel schedule has been tougher. They've run into some teams that were coming off two or three days of rest. That never makes it easy. It will all even itself out. I mean, remember, they played a couple of games with the Calgary Flames, and all of a sudden the Flames get their week off. I don't know if that was ideal for Calgary at that point. There will be points in the season that the Canucks will be okay, and it, it brings us to what they have in front of them. You got four games against a hockey team. You can pick up four points on the Calgary Flames and be comfortably in front of them. Yes, they'll have games in hand, but that's what makes these series. Calgary, Winnipeg, Edmonton, it's as simple as that. Now, I will be convinced, and most are, Toronto and Montreal, whenever they play, root for them because you're not catching them. But if you think you can play with the Jets and the Oilers and the Flames, it's in your hands. And I don't think 500 hockey is good enough this week. But Travis Green went there, and to call it brutal, it's kind of the first time he said this. I'll be honest with you. And he said, well, only losses. I like how he handled it. Yeah, I mean, you played poorly. You weren't even close in those games you were losing to. But, man, it has been a grind for these guys, and I, I don't think anybody in the NHL, and listen to some people who are commentators in the States, they go, man, those guys have they played a lot of hockey. Hasn't been a good run from. It always seems to be the problem with the Canucks, but that can't be the excuse moving forward. They'll be a third of the way through the season, the infamous Thanksgiving in November is actually Valentine's Day. Look at your schedule. Are you in a playoff position? That's where they are at this point of the season for the Canucks. How many points do you think they need? Uh, you know, everyone's saying it's going to be around 60. No, I think no, it's but, but easier. No, but in, no, no, this in, this, in, in this four in this four game series. In this four game series with Calgary. Oh, you need three or four. Yeah. You you need to walk away with six points. I just don't think I'm with like, you on that. Yeah. Listen, 500 hockey, James, isn't doing it for you. Mm-hmm. Like 500 hockey here on in. You're sorry. You, you can't have a 375 winning percentage and, and, and think you're getting in. Um, it's just other than you're hoping that every other game, Winnipeg and Edmonton are playing. All they do is lose. I just I think you have to be three or four. Don't you? You've got 40 games left on the schedule, but yes, I mean every every the difference between this schedule and every one in this in seasons past is every game is a four point game. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I'm 100 percent with you on this. Look, Calgary's got four games in hand going into tonight, right? So by the time this four game set is done, Vancouver will have played 20 games, and the Flames will have played 16. You know, if you're just going 500, you know. Those are still eight po- points that are out there for the Calgary Flames to try to nap. You've got to take care of business. Now, I think uh, the way this team is playing, if you get a split, I think it's at least a win from an internal standpoint for a team that has been just hemorrhaging. I mean, they've lost five straight games, right? It is it is somewhat unrealistic to expect a team that has lost five straight to suddenly go on a run and take three or four against a team that's already 2-0 and against you this year. But the urgency needs to be there for the Canucks, right? The urgency needs to be there for a team that has shown just a lack of fire and just a sense of being overwhelmed more times than not this season. Think about it. You played 16 games. You've already had one five-game losing streak and another slide where you lost five of six. You know, talk about two awful bookmarks. Or bookends, I should say. Well... Uh, our poll question this morning on Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question, and it, hey, it's it's a temperature. I said we needed social distance from this team for a few days. 
But asking you with this four-game series, uh, will it make or break the season for you? 51% have said yes, that's fair. What's shocking is, James, and maybe that's just the, the panic in this city, and it's always there, 45% say, man, it's already broken. Like, And there's, there's 3% that thank you very much buy a lottery ticket every Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and think they're going to win. They say, no, no, I'll be okay no matter what happens in this series. Um, and I can understand people leaning toward the it's already broken. The interesting part is, imagine if the improbable happens and the Canucks get a four-game sweep and the Calgary Flames go home. Home. And they're three games under 500 going, are you kidding me? We took Tanif, we took Markstrom, we took Levo. We did everything we could to this team. And that's the result we get. But I'll take it back to the Super Bowl. Something that Bill Cowher said. He goes, man, I look at Tampa Bay. I go, I'll take Tampa Bay because they're just starting to play better. You look at the Calgary Flames. Milan Lucic is playing as good as he has in a regular season for the, in a couple years. Johnny Goudreau, who most expected wouldn't be there. Is going, hey, I don't mind this this North Division. You're going to let me scoot around. I'm not getting hit. I'm okay. Like, I think the Calgary Flames and Brad Treleving are going, this isn't a bad time, man. Maybe we can put the Canucks in the rearview mirror, win four in a row, win three or four against them, and then we're not going to worry about them because that's the situation. You lose five of six to the Calgary Flames. You're not catching them in all likelihood in the regular season. Uh, if this is the starting lineup here on this Thursday morning, James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. Canucks and Flames opening up tonight, four-game set at Rogers Arena. It is a 7 o'clock puck drop with Corey Hirsch and Brendan Batchelor here on Sportsnet 650. The pregame show starting at 5 o'clock with two hours to get you primed for the game. Brian Burke, uh, he is off to take over as president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but Berkey will uh, join us one last time, and Brian will uh, join us coming up at 7 o'clock as he does each and every Thursday morning. Until now, so we get one more with Berkey. Cassie Campbell, also from Hockey Night in Canada, will drop by at 7.30. We'll look ahead to the uh, Flames and how this team has fared so far, coming in on a two-game win streak. And Ian McIntyre, uh, Sportsnet Canucks insider, will drop by at 8 o'clock on your Canucks commute here on Sportsnet 650. Can I just just say this quickly, Pear? Yesterday, I had to take my daughter to the hospital. For a checkup oh. on she she broke she broke her uh, she broke her arm uh, a few weeks ago yeah uh, the arm no the collarbone a few was weeks la- ago this the isn't co- the collarbone injury same no, daughter this, this is not the same daughter no the collarbone was uh, was a little over a year ago and this time uh, yeah she she fell on a ski hill uh, trying to try out snowboarding for the first time and so broke broke her right oh. arm and so I had to go up for a follow up appointment and you know you're sitting there in the waiting room and. Man, it is really hard to be discreet as a patient in a hospital. And, and and she was just mortified. You know, I mean, obviously it's a COVID world, so you're trying to be extra cautious, but you're sitting there waiting and you could just hear everybody's conversation, right? Like the walls are paper thin or they're basically just curtains. So, you know, one person walks in, you're waiting to go into the triage or go into the, you know, get a look at it from a doctor. And all you can hear is one person, yeah, I've been pooping black for the last two days. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, my 12 year old's looking at me like her eyes are nearly falling out of her head. It's Somebody else just came in. Yeah, I was sitting on my Zoom call and I fainted. Can you help me out? And, you know, here's my 12-year-old go, oh, what's wrong with this guy? Right? Then an elderly woman gets wheeled in and her face is covered in blood. Her de- dentures are in her hand. She's got a fat lip. And, oh, she took a bump. And, you know, she's just like, what are we doing in here? Can we not just wait outside? <laughs> All night long, she's like, Dad, I don't ever want to sit in that waiting room again. 
pal, as you know, I have I have battled some health with COVID and ridiculous hernia that I'm the one guy who doesn't have successful surgery. Last time I was in a couple months ago in November, right? It's like that. So you have all these patients in pre-op. So the nurses have to ask all the questions. Ah, yeah, have you had a drink recently? Uh, drugs, alcohol? Okay, what have you had? <laughs> but beside me starts listing his drug use. <laughs> and I want to pull the curtain back. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, when she comes to me, I better really step up my game, man. You're still alive? <laughs> oh, man. I like, just think, wow. Well, that's well, that's the that, thing. When, when you go oh, yeah, into it, was, when you go in and ask for something, and it's like, oh, what's your health card number? And you, you know, you're you're trying to be quiet about it, but you got a big, you know, plexiglass in front of you, and you're, you know, what's your phone number? It's I don't want to give my phone number out to everybody here for all to see. Why are you here today? Uh, well, you know what? I I I've been pooping mud lately. I don't, you know, I. <laughs> Just you're yeah. trying to be sheep. You're you're looking for this whole doctor-patient confidentiality, and you might as well be on a megaphone. Oh, I mean, if you have any friends who are nurses, and we have a few that have been in it in a long time, if they want to get going with the conversation stuff that they have seen and things have been stuffed somewhere, it's just oh man, like no, not over supper, please. They you, you just learn that it's casual conversation for them. But I could see it, you and Chloe. Go, oh my god, my ears are burning. I can't hear that anymore. Well, and, and there and there you go. We're sitting there at dinner last night, and there and there's and there's Chloe just sharing the story, the story, going, oh, and then this one guy, and it was he was talking about having black poop. I'm like, Chloe, not at the dinner table. Enough. Oh. Come on, well, you imagine, know better. Imagine what recess is like at school today. She's <laughs> gonna have a gang around him. See, Paul says, Chloe yeah. says, that's yeah. a head. Gather round, <laughs> gather round. <laughs> man uh 25 minutes after six o'clock here on this uh thursday morning 650 650 by the way is our dunbar lumber text line always welcome the debate and the discussion it is game day he's perry selkowski i'm james sabalski and these next four games just might dictate the course of the future flight path for the vancouver canucks we'll explain that what seaball says here on your home of the canucks it's game day here on sportsnet 650 Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 631, we are the official home of the Vancouver Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Also be heard on 96.9 HD3. Perry and James still ahead. President of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Brian Burke, will join us at 7 o'clock. His last likely very emotional visit for him. And a Florida man gets hammered at a boat parade. But first, Seaball says. All right. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball says on Sportsnet 650. You know, when I was a kid, my mother used to say to me after a tough day or a stretch, tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. For the Canucks, it's today. It's a clean sheet of ice, a fresh start, and home sweet home. An opportunity to ride a ship that has been sinking like the Titanic. They've had an extra day's rest and are back at Rogers Arena. The trends have certainly been terrible. Their goal differential, minus 13. Only Nashville, Detroit, and Ottawa are worse. And only the Sens are giving up more goals per game than Vancouver's 3.94 that they serve up on an average nightly. 
And to turn things around, they'll need to exercise a demon. Actually, two of them, Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom. The two guys the organization let walk, and they desperately miss right now. Quinn Hughes had a very revealing statement about that on Monday night after their fifth straight loss. We have a lot of new pieces. You know, we lost some, you know, pretty good players last year, and we're just trying to figure it all together, and I think that we're going to get there. It's not just their on-ice abilities, but it's also Markstrom and Tanev's intangibles, which might even be more glaring, their impact and presence in the room. The young Canucks core seems absolutely lost right now. Not formed for so many young teams that take a step back rather than moving forward, but to try to turn things around this season and restore some hope in this frustrated hockey town, the students will need to beat the teachers. Where have we seen this story before? We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. It really is a fantastic storyline against the Canucks' most historic rival over the last 30-plus years. Pavel Bure, Joel Otto, Martin Jelena, Michael Furlan, Free Agency 2020. Lots of history with Calgary and Vancouver. And this will go one of two ways. The Canucks stars will finally be just that, and turn this ship around with the perfect motivation. The flames, history, natural rival, and a couple of guys staring them in the face that they supposedly terribly miss right now. Or they'll continue to operate like a rudderless ship, like we've seen almost nightly when they aren't playing the Ottawa Senators. But tonight is a big night. And the Canucks need to win this series. A split is something, but doesn't entirely help. This could be the watershed moment to bring this group together. Or it just might be the defining sign that this team isn't ready for prime time and the moment has come to break up the band in some way, shape, or form. Whatever the case, Flames, Canucks, and these four games could very well determine the flight path for this team going forward. And that's this morning's Seaball Says. Relationship, and I completely agree with you. It's a relationship that was at its best in the summertime with this fan base, at its best with everybody in the room, and then went really sour. And today, and today, you're getting that unexpected text. Hey, what are you doing tonight? What's up? You got a second chance. And that's what they get. I ask you this, James, and a lot of people chiming in on the, on the 650 Dunbar line text line, and I'd like to hear everyone's opinion. So what's the norm? Thank you, Jacob Markstrom, for all your service. Thank you, Chris Tanner, for everything you have done. There's nobody in the building. Are those two going to see any video tributes from this organization for what they have done? Or is that just... Salt in the wound, much like Tyler Toffoli did to this team for two series. You just want to stay away from it because they'd have to move on from these guys. Who's going to see it other than those two players? Shake their hand. Thank them. They know they've been warriors. Maybe you do it at some other moment. 
But do you think the Vancouver Canucks as an organization pay tribute as you always do to former players considering the situation, considering the number of times they play them? Would you expect the organization to do it? I love that stuff. I wouldn't do it. I'd say we've moved on. Oh, you have to. You draw the line in the sand now? You have to. No one's there to see it. Shea Weber, yes, a thousand games. You're going to get saluted from both teams. I don't know. I don't think you're. I don't think it's petty if they don't put anything up there. Is Jacob Markstrom going to go out? That's terrible. Put it up on a on your your uh, your your official site. Hey, great to see Marky back. Thank you for everything you've done. Put it there, but don't stop the game and go. Oh yeah, by the way, guys. Hey, hey Thatcher. I hope you're playing well. We're, we're going to run this. It's two nothing already. We're just going to rub salt. I wouldn't do it as an organization. So when do you do it, or do you never do it? Maybe you never do. That's why I say use your website, put it on social media, how much they meant to you, thank you. So then I go, that was cheap. Well, I'll go, hey, guys, we got a million people following us on social media. Check it out. We said thank you so much with this great video. Sorry we didn't stop the game where there's no one in the building to see it. We figured this would be the best way to get the eyeballs. So you don't even bring that there to the players on the bench going, oh, yeah, damn, forgot it. Yeah, forgot it. But yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he was great. Oh, see, great save there, Marky. That, that was awesome. We were see, great. That, feels like the, that feels like the ultimate diss, right? Where, yeah, the, I mean, those guys, want, in fairness, like both Tanev and Markstrom wanted to come back here, right? Just, just, oh, yeah. not, at the, just not at the price point that the Canucks were willing to, to serve up for them, right? And they had options and they ultimately went. But I just don't know in a day and age where – Man, if Derek Pouliot came back here in today's NHL, he'd probably get a welcome back tribute video, right? The tribute Derek video Pouliot was got a one in Pittsburgh. Remember? Well, <laughs> that, that was it, right? Like, that was amazing. Like, I think he only had four points there, <laughs> and maybe played four games total, right? And, and, and you get a welcome back video. I mean, Shea Weber last week played his, uh, or what, a week and a half ago played his 1,000th game, and they had a nice tribute and. I, I just think that you have to recognize it. I don't know if you want to go with the full, you know, 70-second tribute video in a in an in a NHL TV timeout and do it then, which they typically do traditionally in the arena with no fans there. But I think you have to acknowledge in some way, especially two guys who had that sort of currency, right? Tanev was here for, what, 10 years? Markstrom, I mean, he was here when he came over in the trade in, what, 2014? And, and left in 2020. So, I mean, there's go- a good six years. Like, those guys put some time in, right? They put some time in. I think you got to I'm not arguing there. you do it. And, Terry, good to see you. I said, yeah, they're doing it. You put, just put it on social media. you got to do the video. You're going to get more play on social media than you are with no one in the – who's in the stands? The trainers who will have talked to those guys, the media guys who've had Zoom calls with them. You're not dissing them by going, yeah, look on the website. We thank you. It was great. You know, people say, yeah, you agree with me. I'm just going, hey, man, it's here's it's a different world. It's a different battle. You may honor them next time you have people in the building because it will mean more for them to put their arms up in the air and look at 18,000 people. We're not going to forget. You know what? If Markstrom shows up and it's October, end of October, Halloween night next year and it's Calgary and they stop the game and go, it was a crazy year and we weren't here, Jacob Markstrom, but we're here now. Thank you for everything you did while wearing a Canucks uniform. He's going to love it. He's going to put his arms up in the air. People are going to get on their feet. Same for Chris Tanev. They won't miss out on it. I don't think it's poor sportsmanship if they don't put it up in the game today for the players to see. Put it up on social media and leave it at that. Okay. 
How about this then? How about a compromise pair? How about a video tribute? But it's all video highlights of Markstrom giving up those early first period goals from a few years ago. See, that's that's what you should also do on social media. <laughs> Get into his cage. Get into his cage, right? Show show right? Chris Tan- show Chris Tanev up in the press box injured. You know those are like you know get it into their heads. Hey, remember all those injuries? Remember all those bad goals we had to endure before you finally became an all star? Welcome back, right? The backhanded compliment. Al Murdoch with the it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> yeah, start it there. That's how you think, right? You need to do whatever you can for this team to get on track. Uh, we'll Brian see Bur- what they Yeah, okay. Uh, well, so Brian Burke will join us coming up just after 7 o'clock. Reminder, it is a game day. Uh, pre-game show starts at 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop with Bash and Hershey. Uh, Bash and Hershey coming your way at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. And Florida man in the news again there, Pear. Oh, how a buccaneer getting buckled was the greatest thing for his brand. We'll explain it on a game day. Perry James, Sportsnet 650. The program with Andrew Walker and Satyar Shaw coming up at four. He always tries to be ahead of the game. Harry was in front. Finding stories that matter, sort of. We call BS. You want it. I want the truth. It's not BS. Just P.S. with Perry Solkowski. So many crazy things going on in the world of sports. We wrap it up for you in the form of P.S. or sometimes it's B.S. What a boat party. What a goat party yesterday. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers threw on the water. Man, Instagrams were crazy, including this. Chris Godwin and his teammates dropping a phone in the water. Hey, Verizon, I know somebody's going to get this to you. My boy Scotty dropped my phone in the water at Super Parade. I need a new phone. Hook me up. That's one of the best receivers in the league right there. Everybody was having their fun. James, no one more so than the quarterback who threw the Super Bowl trophy over the water. It was caught and stumbled out in front of cameras. You want any idea how many views a pickled Tom Brady has gotten so far this morning? 27 million. 27 million views of Tom Brady, who came back and said, yeah, nothing to see here. Just a guy who had a little too much avocado tequila. Unbelievable what Tom Brady did yesterday. Hey, he's human, finally. Wow. And and you know, honestly, nobody, if there was one guy who could be justified and welcomed and appreciated for being able to pull that off, you know, even if you're not a Tom Brady fan, you know, to do that, what he did at 43, to reinvent himself as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, man, I didn't think he could do it. He defied the odds, took down the best team in football, went head-to-head against the guy that was the heir apparent, you know, the goat in training, Pat Mahomes. And for him to do that, man, go have fun, right? And here's the thing. At this stage of our lives, I don't know about anybody else, but every once in a while, you get carried away still, right? You just have one of those days. And Tom Brady had all the drinks and got completely dasted, which was glorious. For the first time, everyone, love him or hate him, appreciate what he's achieved, you could relate to him. You can't relate to Tom Brady, the money, the model wife, the success. Yesterday, getting off a boat, some serious sea legs, 
a buddy hanging on to him like a pal always does, you go, oh, Tom Brady, he is like us, at least for one afternoon. Well, and, and, hey, and Peter, Peter, he's not in control. Well, and here's the thing. He wasn't in control, right, for a guy who's always in control at the podium, always managed, right, careful with his comments. And in that moment, just, eh. Uh, P.S. Dallas Mavericks have uh, been playing NBA games this year, but they haven't been playing the national anthem. No one really said anything till earlier this week. It was brought to light. Mark Cuban had a conversation automatically with Adam Silver, NBA commissioner. And he said, well, here's what we're going to do from here on in, according to Cuban. The real issue is how do you how do you express the voices of those who feel the anthem doesn't represent them or cause, causes them consternation? Yeah, so Cuban said, hey. Guess what? NBA releases the statement. Every game, every NBA city will play the national anthem. On the heels of that, a couple hours later, Dallas Stars going, hey, proud Americans, proud of the city, proud of the state we live in. They're playing the national anthem. Should they? No one's there. Does it bother the athletes? I don't mind the fact that Cuban said, no, we're we're not going to do it. And then the NBA sent out a statement yesterday saying that everybody's you playing are. the anthem, right? You are playing the anthem. I don't know. You know, there was a great point made by Eric Kareen on, on social media yesterday who just reminded everybody of the history of the playing of the national anthem that it is it, it started for baseball during the First World War over 100 years ago, right? That's, that's why, and, and you can understand at the time why, because, you know, <laughs> there was a world war going on. Do you still need it now? And there are sometimes it feels like it's great going into a big game, and then there are some nights it just feels like, why, why are you, you know, why do you need it? Um, I think we're at a point now where you look at where the countries are. I, personally speaking, I could do without the anthem. I, I could do without the anthem, and especially when you got the two anthems. And it's not to disrespect the Canadian anthem, and it's not to disrespect the American anthem. I just don't know if you necessarily need it in today's day and age. And, and also, people talk about the length of games now, Pear. I mean, now you're dropping the puck closer to 10 after the hour as opposed to the top of the clock. You know, I think people, you know, in a day and age of immediacy and faster and quicker, you know, there's 10 minutes I think you can shave off of people having to sit in an arena. You can't, uh, you can't you go know. to the concession. You don't want to be the person at the concession trying to order a drink when the anthem's going, right? I know, I find like I always, you know, get stopped in that awkward area. You're trying to get to your seat. You're coming out of the washroom and you just kind of stop, take your hat off. And it's just that sort of awkward. Is it is it fair game to keep moving during an anthem when you're in the concourse? I don't know. I'm okay yeah, with that. I mean, not, they, they, they don't stop selling beers and all that. If you're going to do something, you do it. Yeah, I'm of two mindsets, but I'm kind of leaning away from it. Hey, P.S., you know what? When you've won a Stanley Cup together, you get to take your shots. You know, I, I'm all for emotion and physicality, but I don't necessarily want to see the captain Ryan Getzloff dropping the gloves with Eric Goodbranson. Ryan Getzlaff can drop the gloves if he still wants to. He's a leader. Ryan Getzlaff can say what he wants and he can text what he wants. Ryan Burke, who will join us in about 10 minutes' time, shared some of the tweets that he has received and texts he has received over the last couple of days after being announced as the new president of the Pittsburgh Penguins. This was the one from Getzlaff. Berkey, glad you're back in the league. You weren't good on TV anyway. Congrats, Berkey. Good to know I'll still have former players who can keep me humble. Ryan Getzlaff just seems like one of those guys, right? He's going to take shots, and he can't because he's been to the top of the mountain. Well, Berkey said that recently in an interview. He was asked who the who the grumpiest players he had on his team. And Bert, who joins us every Tuesday morning at yeah. 7 a.m., Bert was one. Chris Pronger, 
salty son of a gun, and Ryan Getzlaff, right? Three guys cut from the same cloth and three guys in their primes that you would have wanted on your team 100%. Um, yeah, I don't know. Berkey was always a little salty at the best of times. I think you like that sort of you, – you, you like it when somebody kicks you in the ass. and It's a sign of a true friend. Well, and, and you know what, yeah, he, and he's been good to us. Look forward to that conversation about 10 minutes' time. And finally, P.S., you know, it's tough for media to get to players, find out the ins and outs, who's injured, how long is he away. Carl Anthony, Anthony Townsend took matters into his own hands after a report came out, millions of people looked at it, that he will play last night for the first time since COVID has kept him out of the lineup. He said, oh, I'll handle this. I got this. Yeah, he said, man, that's news to me. I'm going to take warm-ups, but I don't say I'm playing. Uh, by the way, he ended up playing. Media got it right. I don't mind this. Players use your social media. Hey, I'm in the lineup tonight, by the way. But <laughs> Towns refused it, so that's not true. And and the end of the day, it did seem true. A little hey, bit of PS, a little bit of BS for you on this Thursday morning. Going back to what you were saying uh, just a couple moments ago, Eric Goodbranson's name mentioned. Uh, did you see that Cassie and Goodbranson fight? A little former former Canuck on former Canuck violence there going at it in that oil yeah. center. No, game. good on both of them. That hockey game was very good. And yeah, uh, yeah Cassian though got hurt and it's gone for a while. But no, good. listen, Erica Branson, talk about a polarizing figure here. Um, and a guy who man, you go into the Drake was drafted here. What has he done? Look at Erica Branson, what was expected of him in the career he's had, right? He's in the NHL, oh. he's been in it for a long time, but he's never lived up to the billing. But Carrying some weight with Ottawa and doing his job to show the young guys how to lead. Yeah, at least the the conversation and the debate over uh, Taylor or uh, Tyler at the time of that draft. It wasn't Taylor, Tyler, or Adam, or or, or sorry, Eric in, or this, Eric. in that particular yeah. case. No, he was a distant third, but the third overall pick in that draft. Uh, hey, listen, the Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business at 650 A uh, lot of new people sampling us for the first time. We say welcome aboard, and we welcome the debate and the discussion, including Drew in Vancouver calling us idiots for saying anthems need to be in sports. So. I would say this, Drew. International competitions, why? I'm okay with from an international uh, matchup, but I don't know why do you why do you need it for just a regular season game in pro sports? You know, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just Perry and I for that matter. But we do appreciate the discussion. Six fifty, six fifty. If you want to weigh in, Brian Burke will weigh in. He'll join us next for the final time. We'll say goodbye to Berkey before he takes over in Pittsburgh next, right here on your home of the Canucks. It is game day on Sportsnet six fifty. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. It's obviously going to be a little different. I, I played there for for quite some time. I'm going to see a lot of a lot of faces that I, I grown to like around the arena. Brian Burke. You can't complain not to get kicked in the groin. Are you raised under high power transmission lines or something? <laughs> I've never been accused of being delicate. God, I, I'm going to kill this guy when I get off the phone. I'm not wasting my 15 minutes in Vancouver every Thursday debating with. An idiot. Terry Silkowski sucked tonight. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. It's game day! This is the starting lineup with James Sobolski and Perry Solkowski. Oh, man. So many good memories. We're going to miss them. Mostly. If that doesn't get you ready, what does? Brian Burke uh, for the final time. Uh Longtime Sportsnet analyst and now the uh, president of hockey operations with the Pittsburgh Penguins. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski. Good morning, Brian. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What happened here? Uh, it kind of all happened in a real hurry. Like, 
Just out of the blue. And? Is... Well, what happened was, I, so I was talking to David Morehouse, who's the CEO of the Penguins. Okay. And I was talking to him about GM candidates going through and saying, here's what this guy's good at. And, and owners in the last few years had frequently called me and said, can we go through some of these guys with you? And I, I'm not a candidate, so, and I don't have an agenda. So it's not like I was saying, I want this guy to get it, or I want this guy to get it. It's like, here's what this guy's good at. Here's what he's not good at. And again, this is a commonplace occurrence the last few years. So I'm talking to him, and David talked to Mario that night. I think this is Wednesday night, I want to say. Last Wednesday. And Mario said, well, how do you have all this information on these guys? And David said, well, I'm talking to Brian Burke. And Mario said, Berkey? Why aren't we talking to him? And so next thing you know, they asked me about coming down there as the president of hockey operations. So I said, let me sleep on it. I would have said a flat no to anyone else. I, I, I turned down a president of hockey ops job. Um, at the draft in Vancouver two years ago. And then I thought, you know, it's Pittsburgh. I, I, I want to do this. What do you do once you accept it? We've had conversations with you. It might have been last week's show or two weeks ago. We talked about Rutherford surprisingly stepping away. Does that talent in Pittsburgh uh, need to be propped up and take another run? Or do you real be rebuild and go, hey, we've got our Stanley Cups? Easy to say as a commentator, have you now broken down all their games this season, or what have you done since you've accepted that role? Well, it's been a whirlwind, obviously. I, number one is figuring out how I get there. I talked to Bill Daly about the, the COVID protocols and what I need to do to get in their bubble and so on. And I have to go as soon as I get off the air, I'm going to get a COVID test. Um, so the top priority has been how do we get there? And you, you do the press conference and you got a flurry of calls afterwards. And I'm trying to wrap up all of my media stuff. So I just did my last Calgary show. I'm doing my last Vancouver show. I'm doing my last uh, Hockey Central at Noon show today. I'm doing my last uh, NHL Network show tomorrow morning trying to wrap up all the stuff that I've been doing for the last couple of years and, and, and go on the right note. Like, I don't want to just take this job and say, Hey, Vancouver, see ya. So that's why I agreed to come on. I've really enjoyed the show, not YouTube, but the show. Oh, um, Vancouver you. is a, Vancouver is a special place to me. I, obviously I did two tours of duty there and loved every second of it. And I've been grateful to have this show. So, before I, we're not going to end the show here, but I want to thank the people in Vancouver for tuning in. I hope I entertained and educated you at times, and uh, I want to say thank you. You've had a, there's actually been a lot of people since you started doing this uh, that have talked about the idea of you being a perfect tonic for Jim Benning in terms of being that sort of buffer, you know, Trevor Linden had that role up until about two and a half years ago, but you know, that you understand this market, you know, you could have been great to kind of handle that situation um, where Jim's not necessarily as comfortable dealing with the media that, you know, I mean, you're, you're tailor made for these types of roles. And um, yeah, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've had people say that to me 
via you know social media or via text from friends just saying man like brian would be perfect as a president of hockey ops here in vancouver to kind of provide a little insulation for the management team here i'm sure you've probably heard that too berkey yeah but ownership there had a chance to keep me around and decided not to so they had that option a long time ago and we move on right this this current this current one or, or or years past no, no. When when the Aquilini family bought the team, I was the GM, and they did not renew my contract and showed no interest in renewing my contract. And that's their right. I'm not mad about that, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'm high on their list now, and I wasn't back then. So, I left Vancouver very reluctantly. You guys know that. Yep. Like mm-hmm. I had a, I loved living there. The team was close. I mean. You build a team and you get close. We had, I think the year I got fired, I think I had a hundred. We had a hundred and one points, I think, and that was with the Bertuzzi suspension and the whole thing. And no, they they chose to go in a different direction. That's their prerogative. But I'm not upset. I'm not. I'm not mad about anywhere where I got let go. That's ownership's prerogative. But I don't think that it's ever crossed their mind. Hey, maybe we can get Brian Burke back. Uh, you have been in the fire as far as hockey markets here in Vancouver and in Toronto. You got to the top of the mountain in a hockey market in Anaheim where a lot of people didn't care about the Ducks, and, and your job there was to let them care and, and let them know about the Ducks. What's what's the job in Pittsburgh? Because it seems like you know a really nice fit. Yeah, they love the Penguins. There's a great history there. They may not be the top of the food chain. Uh, what will your goal be there to achieve? Well, I, I think talking to ownership, talking to Ron Burkle and Mario, the goal is let's see what this group can accomplish. Let's see what we can do this year. If we can add to the group, let's see what we can do with this this group. Then the hard decisions begin because you've got Chris Letang with a year left on his contract. You've got uh, Evgeny Malkin with a year left on his contract. So we're going to see what we can do with this group, and then we'll see at the end of the year. What's that conversation with Sidney Crosby like? Uh, you, you mentioned last night uh, on, on Wednesday Night Hockey that you, you, you've you talked anyway. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. It's, it's that simple. I mean, this is a guy, if you look at what Sidney Crosby has accomplished in our league, uh, and I joke with him about how close he came to being a duck. Like, we came in last or second in the lottery the year he came into the league. And I'm telling you, like, we were doing the show on TSN, and I thought we were going to win. We got down to, now I got a 50-50 chance of getting that, that name come out of the, the drum. It's Sidney Crosby, right? Generational player, which is an overused term because there are very few of them. But generational player, and I thought we were going to win. Like, I'm up on the stage thinking, I don't know why. You had a 50-50 chance. If you were a rational person, you'd think, well, it's 50-50. But I was convinced we were going to win. And so I, ever since then, whenever I see Sid, I hold my, my thumb and my forefinger about a quarter inch apart, and I say, this close, Sid. You were this close to being the duck. And now I get to work with him. So I, I admire him. I admire what he's done, not just for his team, but internationally, even though it was obviously a heartbreaker for me when he scored the golden goal in Vancouver and we won a silver medal. But I've admired this guy and, and talked to him and been friends with him, you know, just to see at the rink, not friends. Yeah. So it was great talking to him. Say, look, I said, Sid, we'll get in there. We'll see what's going on and we'll, we'll talk more. But 
like people say to me, are you going to involve him in decision-making? Like star players have been involved in decision-making for teams for 20 years. Like I talked to Marcus about everything when I was in Vancouver. I talked to Mess before we made Marcus the captain. Uh, in in Anaheim, you don't think I talked to Scott Niedermeyer about the direction of the team? I mean, that's how it works. Will you do that now in this role? I mean, you've told us before when you were the president in Calgary, you were there with Brad, and then kind of Brad had his hands on the wheel, and, and you were okay to leave. We saw the president GM situation here. I mean, it's a two-man role. So with Hextall, is he in that room? As a president, Berkey, do you get to know your players as you would as a GM, because you you know you've always told us, and your book says, and the players tell us to come on. You were hands on GM. You wanted to know about them, their families, their life. Do you do that as president? Yeah, that didn't change in Calgary. The key is the players knew. Yeah, I'm down there when they come in for practice. I'm having a coffee, asking them how's the baby doing, how's the dog, uh, and I became friends with the players. But they all knew who was in charge. And same thing here. Like we did our press conference the other day, and someone said. Ron or Brian, what about this? So I said, Hexy, you answered. You're the GM. And when I was hired in Calgary, I said to Ken King, the late, great Ken King, I said, how's this going to work? And he said, imagine you and Tree are business partners instead of you're the boss and he's the GM. So if you're a business partner, you, Perry, or you, James, you'd never come in to me on Monday and say, I'm taking the next month off. You would approach me a couple of weeks before and say, what about if I take a month off? And it's the same thing with the GM. So Tree would come to me and say, here's an idea. And I'd be like, look, I, I can't get my arms around that. I don't like this player. I don't like the deal. It, you know, whatever. It's gonna... You talk about it before it gets to a point where you have to veto the trade. And it worked beautifully for the time I was in Calgary. And I think, I think Tree would tell you that. It's not Brian Burke's view in life. I think you'd say it was great having the guidance there and avoiding some big mistakes maybe early. But I was in charge. If I came in and said, I want to make this deal, we made that deal. And so that's that's how it has to work. I think it's the only way it can work. And I think, it's, you know, it's a, it's a model in a bunch of – in other sports, there's a president of baseball operations or a president of basketball operations. It's much more common. Historically, it's been much more common than in hockey, but you've got a half dozen teams in hockey that have the same setup. And one thing you can do is, and you guys remember this, ah, got the speaking engagements. When I was in Vancouver, these chambers of commerce, they all meet at 7 o'clock in the morning. So I'm out at the Richmond Chamber of Commerce. I'm out at the Chilliwack Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, I get up early, you guys know that, but at 7 in the morning. And you do a hundred of these in a year. Like my first couple of years in Vancouver, the end of my first year, we had 7,600 season tickets, 7,600. And we routinely played to crowds of 10 and 11,000. You guys remember those days. Mm-hmm. So the, the speaking you do and the reach, the outreach that you do in the community, that's all off the GM's plate now. I'm going to do that in Pittsburgh. So Chamber of Commerce, I'm doing that. Rotary Club, I'm doing that. So the GM can focus on putting the best 20 players you can put on the ice. So that's one thing. League meetings. There's four governor's meetings a year. So you have travel, day of meetings, and then travel back. That's off the GM's plate. So that's part of what the president of Hawk Cap Race can do is take stuff off the GM's plate. 
Brian Burke, uh, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited here on Sportsnet 650, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. You know, to think back to those early days when you were running the Canucks here and, and how it all kind of played out, I remember my first year here, Brian, in 2000, and so Mess had just left, and, you know, you had this young core trying to figure out their you know, their next course. And it's funny, you kind of maybe see some parallels with, with this young team here now, but you're right. Like that, that building was, you know, GM place at the time. Now Rogers arena was that upper bowl was sparse. I, you know, I remember buying an, an ice pack. My, my then girlfriend at the time, we had just moved to the city. I remember buying her a 12 game ice pack. And I think it was like 25 bucks a ticket for 12 games, yeah. but man, like there were almost full sections that were empty out there. And we're talking 20 years ago and you, you built that. I mean, this team got to a point where you sold, I mean, the Canucks sold out how many games? Hundreds of games straight. I think almost 500 straight games, I think it was by that yeah. point. But it was empty at the time. Yeah, and, and so it goes back to, and I would encourage people to buy my book or talk a lot about this. <laughs> Is there a new oh, chapter coming? Gosh, this again? <laughs> we, we made people, you can make people fall in love with a team before you win. And that's what we did. We started selling out before we had 100 points. And the reason we sold out is, one, my three pillars are run it like a business. So I've always felt like if I paid a guy a million bucks to play in the minors, that's my owner's money, technically. But my season ticket holders think, that's my money. You just wasted my money. So I've made the players fight for their money. On a Brian Burke team, you fight for your money. It's that simple. I, I don't get to keep what I save on you. I spend it on a different player. But you fight for your money. That's one. Number two is active in the community. And people saw Vancouver Canucks at everything because I made them do it. And I was at everything. And third is you play an entertaining style. So we didn't trap. We fought. We, we, we hit in all three zones. We, we fought. We tried to score goals. We traded chances. And we started selling out before we were competitive. Now, the Twins coming, that was a game changer. You guys know that. Mm-hmm. So we had the West Coast Express line, then we get the Twins. Now, they weren't impact players for a few it years. It took a while, yeah. It took a while. But I was gone by the time they were impact players. But the fact of the matter is we started selling out before we started winning or recording 100 points. So I think you can invigorate a market before your team is competitive. Berkey, you won't remember this, I will, because it was really funny, but it might have been the first town hall going to communities that you did. You were there. Crow was there. Crow was nervous as hell, and you didn't want to pay anything, so I was kind of the MC to get it started. We probably had about 200 people there. I don't know if we were Abbotsford or Surrey. And I didn't know what, how are we going to do this? I wasn't sure. I just read your record from the year before, and it wasn't good. And then I asked everybody to bow their heads and say, let us pray. It got a giggle. But it reminded me that that was you going, this is what we're doing. I want to talk to the season ticket holders, and I want to build it. Um, I I don't know if we have parameters in this, but we've always brought you on to talk about the Canucks. It's a massive series. Now that you're employed by another team, can you give us your take of what we're about to get into here with four against the Flames? Well, uh, this is my last show, so I can say whatever I want. Um, I I think the problem is right now the team is really struggling, really scuffling. And it's, it's a variety of things. They lost some key parts. They lack confidence right now. Uh, and it's easy to kick the Vancouver Canucks when they're down. And that's, that's the schizo market. You know, like when I worked in Vancouver, we didn't have the social media. That was just coming in. 
And now it's crazy there. They, they lose two games in a row. They want to fire the GM and fire the coach and trade seven guys. It, it's nuts. And it was not like that when I was there. We had pretty fair coverage. We had notable exceptions, but pretty fair coverage. And I didn't have to deal with that thing, that that, that social media craze that, that Benji has to deal with. And if you focus on it, for me, if you focus on it, you look at Jim Benning's drafting record, it, it's exemplary. Like, they never won the draft lottery. They got screwed a couple times. They got bumped twice, I think, and still came up with Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, Hoaglander. Like, how did we miss on him? So I'm like, he's done a really good job that way. Brought in Travis Green, who everyone seems to like, and I do too. Well, who hired him? Did they just find him? Jim Benning hired him. Now, the cap issues they have are self-inflicted. That's on the GM. I can't I can't help Benji with that. But they've done some really good things. And when you're, when you're scuffling, everyone disregards the really good things you've done. So I would say look at the body of work. They've got to come out of this. Their senior player group has to lift them out of this. The Millers and the Pedersons, and even though Pedersons young, that group has not played like it played last year. Now, their goaltending hasn't been good enough. Uh, hopefully that'll come around. They missed Tanev, no question about it. But they, they, I, I, to me, the notion that you've gone from, everyone thought Jim Benning was a genius after the bubble, right? Didn't they? Didn't yeah. everyone say, look at this team? I think there were, he, he definitely curried some favor um, during the summer, but I think it, the, the, it certainly was a lot of backlash when you got to the off season and, and how things kind of played out too. Yeah, and, and, and the guys that left, left because of cap issues. It's not like Jim Benning said Tyler Toffoli's a bad player. Mm-hmm. He paid a high price to get him, and he was really good for the Canucks last yeah. year. It's not like they said, well, he's a bad player. Let's just let him go. They let him go. They had to let him go because of the term and money that Montreal gave him. But when the cap issues are self-inflicted, that's hard to explain. And so you got, okay, the Luongo contract, which is not Benji's fault, but that's $3 million. Yep. You got Louis Erickson, which, which he's a great guy, and he's actually a decent player, but people hate him because he makes too much money. That's self-inflicted. Sven Berici's self-inflicted. And so they'll come out of this at some point, but right now their they're top, top player group is not playing well enough. It's that simple. And there's not a team in the league that can win if their top players aren't playing well, look at Toronto. The run they're on. Look at what their top players are doing. So, Berkey, with with that with that being said, I mean, it looks like Montreal and Toronto are kind of the 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 cream of the North Division here. But when you look at this series here with the Canucks, with Calgary, with what's at stake, it's a four game series here. Um, they're six and ten on the on the year. You know, this is a team that if you're going to try to get a playoff spot, this is one of those teams you're going to be jostling with. It's, you know, two key former guys who are part of the organization. There seems to be a real sense in this market. I think Perry and I both kind of feel the same way, that this is kind of a, a make-or-break moment for this team. But, you know, if, if they bomb in this series, like, is everything on the table here? Like, could could heads conceivably roll here after this? Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You look around the NHL, and there's no revenue. Right, teams are playing the season is costing the owners more money than not playing would would have cost them. So this is this is not they're they're paying seventy percent of salaries, twenty percent cap on escrow, ten percent deferral. 
but they're playing on a 56-game schedule. So they're getting killed. The owners are getting killed. And I've been asked this on national television. Do you think this GM's in trouble, this coach is in trouble? And I've said the same thing. I don't think owners are interested in paying two salaries right now. I just don't. I think GMs and coaches are safer than they've ever been because right now revenues are a trickle. So, no, I I, I don't think they're going to make a change. Your team truckling enough? No. How do you fix that in a time when you can't move players and it's going to be difficult? The easiest thing to fix on a team is the level of grit. It is the lowest common denominator. The hardest thing to replace is skill. Getting a tougher team is easier. Like getting a Wade Brookbank back in the day is a lot easier than getting a Marcus Naslin. Yeah, I think that that's certainly valid. I mean, they had Ryan Reeves not too long ago, um, and now he's thriving in Vegas. Can I can I ask you this? Um, this has been a, a kind of a funky week, a downright ugly week for our business, and it kind of followed an ugly week last week in this business. But you were the general manager here of the Vancouver Canucks at a time when Team 1040, and obviously the departure and the demise uh, quite suddenly earlier this week of Team 1040. Do you do you have some memories of TSN 1040 or Team 1040 from? From years back, I remember hosting a show where my co-host, The Beast, had gone after Trevor Linden and he got suspended. I remember you were on the phone. You were not pleased. Like, are there some memories that come back? You had some battles, I think. Yeah, but battles with... I look back on this and, and what people will remember is that Brian Burke feuded with the media right and left. When, in fact... It was a handful of incidents. It was always something. It was never. I, I don't care what people say about me. So if you go on and blast me, you're not getting a call. You get a call if you blast one of my players or if you blast my coach. All these fights were on behalf of players or the coach because like, I truly do not care. You can count the, the people whose opinions matter to me. You can count on your hands. And so and I know you guys use your fingers to count, so you realize the, <laughs> the importance of that. that uh comparison so to me but the fights i had were always like i remember neil mccray and, and neil's gone now and he's we were really good friends and i miss neil but neil went after the the twins he called them the Sedine sisters and i said i called nw called uh jimmy who's rutherford who's the uh not jimmy rutherford. maybe plasteris or yeah rutherford or plasteris somebody yeah yeah i i called him i said look we no one from our team is coming on the show if he ever says that again I called Neil first. I said, Neil, you say that again. Our weekly show, because I used to do a weekly show with Neil, that's gone. You will not get a player on the show. You will not get a coach on the show. That stops today, right now. Those are the types of fights I had. There's never a fight. Someone said Brian Burke's a terrible GM. Say it. I could care less. But the fights were always on behalf of the Vancouver Canucks players or our coach or the brand. And so I remember my first year there when I was working for Pat, N.W. went on. Uh, who's the guy that used to do impersonations? Really funny. There was Peter Shad. Who, oh. oh, for N.W. Well, Peter Shad did a bunch Frosty, for, no? No, no, no. A guy, not not Frosty. There's a guy who did impersonations. And, and he did, he did um, Jim Robson perfectly. And he went on the air and said, I want to congratulate all the Vancouver Canucks season ticket holders who didn't renew. And I went nuts. 
I went berserk, and Pat went. That's one of the few times Pat went nuts over too. It's like, are you kidding me? So we had a big fight with NW, and I remember we had that that day. We, it was in June, and we had a, a, a cruise in, in Coal Harbor, in English Bay. We had a, NW had chartered a boat, and we went out, and it was supposed to be me and Pat entertaining all of their top clients. So. The De La Salles were there. I mean, all the all the big, you know, all the big clients back then. And I remember Pat and I sat in one corner of that boat and didn't talk to a soul. We were so mad about this thing. And, and so all the fights we had were about the brand and about the players and about the coach. I never cared what people said about me. I, I still don't. Uh, thank you for this. Um... As Ryan Getzlaff said in a text that you printed yesterday, yeah, you weren't great on TV. I disagree. Um, it's been fun, Berkey. We've known each other for a long time. I know our listeners have appreciated. Uh, James and I get a kick. I won't speak for SIBO, but you've ripped us, and we've ripped you, and I think it's uh, we appreciate it. I think it's a sign of respect from you. You've been good when we've reached out off the air, and uh, you love hockey, and I know you weren't expecting it, but it's awesome you're back in the game. Well, I'm happy to be back, but I want to thank everyone in Vancouver for tuning in, and uh, I loved my time there, and I wish the Canucks nothing but the best. A lot of people texting in here at 650-650 on our Dunbar Lumber text line here, Brian, just kind of saying thank you, all the best. Uh, they're just kind of pouring in here, so just know that there's a lot of people that really appreciate this, and we look forward to the next chapter of your book here with uh, the Pittsburgh uh, the Pittsburgh years. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, Berkey. Brian Burke, uh, presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, uh, a proud BC-owned and operated company since 1892. Okay, it is 28 minutes after 7 o'clock. Uh, James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski with you. It is game day as the Canucks and the Flames get set to clash for the first of four, and Cassie Campbell from Hockey Night in Canada will take a look into how the Flames are faring as they enter with a two-game win streak. It is game day here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 7.33 on this Thursday morning. It is game day. Canucks and Flames first of four. Three of those at Rogers Arena. Pre-game show starts at 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop with Brendan Batchelor and Corey Hirsch coming your way at 7 o'clock. I'm James Sabalski along with Perry Solkowski. Your Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock with Canucks insider Ian McIntyre. We'll talk to Cassie Campbell from Hockey Night in Canada in a moment. But, Perry, this is absolutely a make-or-break moment for the Canucks in terms of their season. Already four games below 500. Uh, they got to get back on a winning track. I, I, being Captain Obvious here, but... You know, this is the perfect opportunity to try to get back into the swing of things with a rival, a team with a ton of history with this organization, but also history with the players as well. The guys that everybody's talking about that they miss so dearly, right? Take care of business and do it against you get a natural ripped, rival. Now you got ripped apart by Toffoli. I mean, it's the worst case scenario. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe we are about to embark on the worst case scenario. Our poll question this morning, join us on the Sportsnet 650 Twitter poll question. Will this four-game series with the Flames make or break the season for the Canucks? 50% of you say yes. I would agree with you with that. 46% are saying it's already broken. There are 5% of you that are going, yeah, no, it, it's not that. Honestly, James, we talked about it two weeks ago. I said, man, look what goes on when you got Calgary. You are going to be a third of the way through your season. You can no longer say, you know what, it's progress. Progress is done if the season is gone. 
You have complained, and I understand what has taken place in the dressing room. You've had some changes. It's difficult. But you're pro athletes, and if you're not good enough as a group, it'll be exposed this week starting against Calgary. And I am just not so sure what we're going to see beginning tonight. Let's bring in from Hockey Night in Canada, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, Olympic gold medalist as well. Cassie, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Uh, it's been a while, but uh, where do you keep your gold medal anyway? <laughs> well, good morning, James and Perry. Uh, I, I'm i such huge fans of you both, first off. I, I know Aww, that's a little awkward thanks, right off oh, the Oh, sucking but... up early. I love it. Yeah, I know. Especially I'm, after Berkey, just, Cassie, because he says nothing nice. I know. I'm just trying to make sure we, we get good karma, you know, from Berkey to me. I thought maybe I should brighten your day a little bit. But um, do you know what? They they just sit in my office at home in a bag. And I I have them. Uh, I took them to um, my daughter was in kindergarten. She's now in grade five. But she came home one day. She said, Mom, did you win some kind of medals or something? You know, when she was in kindergarten. And I said, yeah, I, I did. And so I took them out of the bag and I hadn't taken them out in like five years and they were, you know, a little bit disheveled. And, and she looks at them and she goes, oh, oh, that's it? And I'm like, yeah, honey, that's it. And so I eventually went to the jewelry store and I got them cleaned. And uh, But they really just sit in a bag in my office at home. And every once in a while, I'll take them out for an event or something. But honestly, I, I don't look at them very often. You're an medalist. What is, when did your daughter realize, Cassie, that, oh, mom, you were in the Olympics? That's what that medal is? You know what? It's her her kindergarten teacher, Mrs. DeBoer, was the one that told her. And sure enough, I you know she didn't think anything of it when I came when she came home. We had the conversation, um, but then you know the teacher asked me to come to the school and will you, will you talk to the kids? So then I did that, and then she was like, "Oh, okay, you're kind of cool, but really, I'm just her mom, and I'm not cool at all." And uh, <laughs> that's perfect. That's just the reality of it. That's that's the story of our lives here. Fair, yeah, fair enough. You're, yeah, it's funny how your kids always find out things in a in a different way. Cass, um, you obviously have tracked the uh, the Flames a lot this season, but even from a Canucks standpoint, how big is this four game set here for for Vancouver tonight as they open up? I mean, these are two teams that, as Toronto and Montreal seem to be separating themselves, how big is this for these two clubs? You know, I, I think equally as big for both sides because you, you look at Calgary and there has been some inconsistency. You know, they had a, a great start and then they had that weird five-day early break. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they kind of just haven't really found their groove since that time. They've had, you know, a couple of decent games, and but nothing, you know, spectacular, if you will. And, and then the whole Sam Bennett thing comes on. And I think internally they've figured it out, but I'm not sure where that one's going to go either. And, uh, you know, he's now playing on the top line with Goudreau and Monaghan, and um, we'll see how long that lasts. But, he, you know, that's one of the things he really wanted was an opportunity to play in the top six role. So he's getting that opportunity. And, you know, I think it's huge from a Canucks standpoint that, you know, I heard you guys talking as I was coming on. And, yeah, it's a, it's a make-or-break kind of series, if you will. But I, I just think that, expectations have got the best of Vancouver and of course they've you know had a few tweaks and changes and their goaltending and you, you lose a guy like Chris Tanev who's a character guy but I really think the thing that has you know sort of set Vancouver back if you will is they they did so well in the bubble and all of a sudden the expectations that maybe aren't realistic you know maybe that bubble scenario wasn't actually who they were and now they have to deal with those expectations and in my opinion that's what they're struggling with so in that sense, this series is key because if you don't do well in this series, again, it's the more pressure just piled on to those expectations. And 
And I think that's what they've struggled with the most so far. Cassie Campbell joining James and Perry on Sportsnet 650. Um, Cassie, in our job, we watch as much TV as we can, as many games as we can. We see your great work with the Flames. When I've been tuning it in for the periods in the last couple of weeks, I'm just going, wow, what a bonus Milan Lucic is. Has Luch found a groove that he hasn't in a regular season in Calgary for the first time in a few years? Without question, you know, he, he kind of found his groove last year in the playoffs. That That's when he found his groove and, and you know, playing that third-line role with Dubé and Bennett. I mean, they were they were Calgary's best line in that bubble playoff, you know, series and few series, I guess. And, um, and then he started on the fourth line this year, and that's kind of where you have him penciled in, I think, you know, and then he's a guy that, you know, you're sort of expecting his leadership and, and the style of play that he plays to be, you know, that guy for you in the playoffs. But he got moved up. Uh, I'm going to say two, three games ago with Backlund and Mangiapane. And, you know, they just kind of have gotten a lot of chemistry. And, you know, you look at that game on Saturday night, you know, after a real lackluster first period, uh, they came out in the second that line, scored two goals and really, you know, changed the momentum for the Flames. And so it's a group that I think defensively Jeff Ward will put out in any situation. It's a group now that's starting to feel a little bit more confident offensively. You know, Mangiapane's got a few goals in his last few games and, you know, Backlund's carrying the puck, and he looks a little more confident. And and Luch is just doing his thing. You know, getting in on the forecheck. He's not going to be overly quick, but when he gets there, he's he's going to be an intimidating factor. And he puts that little extra pressure on the defense, if you will. Even though he's maybe not as fast as he once was, he's still an intimidating guy. And so it's nice to see him kind of get some finish. And but his real, I guess true thing for the Flames is his leadership and sort of that bridge between Jeff Ward, who we won a Stanley Cup with, and the rest of the group. And and I think he's really done a nice job the last couple of years of providing that. Uh, I know you got to get going here in a moment, but just quickly, how has Jacob Markstrom fared? His his numbers look, big, you know, he's shut out the Canucks already, but, you know, look at his numbers. They've just pretty much stayed consistent to what he's been the last couple of years. How how's he fared in Calgary? You know, I, I know everyone in Vancouver is not going to like this answer, but he's been their best player. He's been their most consistent player. He's given them a chance to win every night. He's probably played two more games than I think the organization would have liked him to at this point. But if you remember early in the season, David Riddick had a family issue that, you know, he was away from the team from a little bit. And so he might've got a few starts in there, but it was Markstrom. And honestly, he, he has been so good and you can tell he's having fun. You can tell he's enjoying being around this group. There's a ton of Swedish guys here. His best friend, Elias Lindholm, is here. Uh, and he's really fit in so well. And, um, yeah, he honestly, he's been their cons- most consistent player by far. Cassie, thanks you for this. Uh, we know you got to get going. You're, you're busy today with other interviews, but we appreciate the chat, and we'll do it again. It's going to be fun to see how this week plays out. Yeah, James Perry, call anytime. And all the best to you guys in your Thanks, family. Cass. Say hi to Brad for me as well, please. All right. Cheers. Take care. Uh, There's Cassie Campbell-Pascal weighing in uh, with her thoughts on the Calgary Flames and Jacob Marks. Just what everybody wanted to hear. But the Flames' best player so far this season. Come here. Uh, You know, I I do think the parallel is there. um, And what has has buckled the Flames a little bit, too, and they haven't played as many games, expectations. Like, how do you handle the expectations? For the Flames, though, they look around and go, okay, look at the support we've got from last year we will be better. And I, I think for the Canucks, they've looked around and rather than looking at, okay, yeah, Nate Schmidt's great. Hoaglander's great. They haven't had Travis Hamannick. They're trying to find that support and are, are looking at, and, and I've, 
on our text line, we appreciate it, and we'll get to someone. It shows it. We have been concentrating on who's left, not who's here, and that's fair because when have we come on the air after Canucks game and go, Nate Schmidt was unbelievable today. Brayton Holtby stole that one today. Travis Hamannick, well, we haven't even had a chance to see him. He's on IR, right? So what's come into the city? We haven't been able to, to gloss over it. We've just mourned what's left, and we'll see what that changes this week. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into much more of this year. Canucks commute coming your way at 8 o'clock. Uh, Sportsnet Canucks insider Ian McIntyre will join the discussion. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. A lot of you jumping in. Uh, a lot of newcomers to the show as well. And we say welcome. Thanks for giving us a try. Uh, always welcome the discussion as well. You can also find us on Twitter at Sportsnet650. We'll uh, share, uh, share some of your thoughts and tweets and uh, look ahead to the big game tonight. Next, right here on your home of the Canucks, it is game day here on Sportsnet 650. Who let the dogs out? Who let the dogs out? Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 748 here on this uh, Thursday morning, game day. Canucks back on the ice against the Calgary Flames. I'm James Sabolski. He's Perry Solkowski. Your starting lineup here on Sportsnet 650. Pre-game show starts at 5 o'clock later today. Uh, Balak was insistent to play this because you've been telling us all morning that you have something from a dog standpoint you need to get. And, and, and no, and I, and I feel bad, and I said we get to the text, and thank you, everybody will text it. But now they can text me and say if I'm an idiot or not. Balak plays that. We're actually in, a, in our meeting yesterday after the show. I hear a whole bunch of barking. So here's the deal. We have a couple of, of Jay Beagles who live beside us. Beagle dogs, right? Jay Beagles. Overpa- I, I overpaid. Overpaid. Have a ring or they bring worm, <laughs> right? And they are loud and noisy, unlike the player. And, and they are just infuriating. Now, we have three rescue dogs, a German T-Top Shepherd, and he's nasty. And we've got a, a great Dane Fox. Whatever happened to Dane Fox? What are you, one or two games at the Canucks? And then we've got a Beagle who's like Brad Marchant, who just yaps and licks your face, right? That's it. So anyways, there's this big kerfuffle while we're meeting. And when I'm done, I come and I see the... The Dane is, is kind of like sully on the, on the couch. And I said, what happened? Well, the German Shepherd, who is nasty, we've taken to training. These beagles get on him, and we always call her away, and we do. But the beagle, and there's fence between us and small fences on that side. The beagle gets away from his area and comes to the front of our yard, where, again, there is fence, but the fence isn't as big. So when he comes to taunt the German Titoff Shepherd, German Titoff, an old Calgary Flame, by the way. Um, the shepherd actually can get her her mouth through and get a little nip. It's like Ty Domi and that fan who's who's beacon at Domi, and then the glass breaks away, like thinking the fan will never get beat by Domi. This beagle thinks, well, the shepherd's never going to get me. I still have, oh, my God. And the shepherd got a little nip into the beagle. And... Uh, I felt awful. Good on my daughter, who's old enough to be responsible, went over and helped. The Beagle's okay. Man, dog fights aren't good. But part of me thought, you know what, Beagle? For three years, you've been yapping. And then you come yap again, and the glass just broke on you. Maybe it's good for you. I don't know. Maybe I feel bad. It shouldn't be. We were karma. nice to the parents, but it was... Uh, it's karma. Like, I don't know. Was my shepherd at fault? That's nah, karma. It's payback. That, that's what I thought. Like that fan with Domi. That's karma. You're going to chirp all the time. At some point, your protective glass is gone, and now you're going to know that maybe you're going to stay away. So we'll see how it, it plays out now in future. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm Correct. okay with. Uh, I'm 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 okay with. Uh, I'm okay with karma. Uh, Lucas texting in here on the Dunbar Lumber text line here, Perry at six fifty six fifty. Um, asking Lucas, the fuel guy, we should uh, point out. Um, why are the expectations too high for a GM in his seventh year and his team can't make the playoffs? Uh, kind of just following up on the conversation we'd had with Cassie Campbell. I I don't think it's that the expectations are too high, and, and you know what? In, to me, I think seven years is enough time to kind of have a body of work to say, okay, where are you going in the right direction or not? Um, but I think I think what Cassie's point is is that there is a false hope created with this team based on what we saw last year, right? And this team has changed significantly, right? You don't have the goaltending you had last year. That's on the Canucks, right? Uh, you you lost a, a a guy who played alongside Chris Ta- played alongside Quinn Hughes, and you know what, pair? I will say this. Quinn, you know Quinn Hughes. I I think we a lot of us thought he'd still be fine without. Look at how well he played for those that small sample size with Luke Shen playing alongside him. You know, going back to two seasons ago at the end of the year when he when he showed up, right, and won everybody. He's playing with Luke Shen. Luke Shen, you know, got another year in the NHL. Has won a Stanley Cup with the Lightning, thanks to, to looking all right, right? And and I don't think we realized just how important Chris Tanev was to the development of Quinn Hughes. So, I mean, this team has taken a significant step back, and the best players, we thought, if you thought that Pedersen was going to grow, if you thought that Hughes was going to grow, that hasn't really been the case this year. And the new guys or the replacements, Nate Schmidt, Man, this market wanted to fall in love with this guy. And it has not clicked here since he's become a Vancouver Canuck. I think the expectations, like who's got the best GM job starting next year where there's no expectations? It's Ron Francis, right? You're in Seattle. Okay, you, your expansion team, you can't do much. We said for years on this show that, you know, Travis Green and Jim Benning, there's no such thing as a free ride. They expect a lot from themselves. But when you're rebuilding, no one's going to look at the coach and go, is he doing enough? No one's going to look at the GM. Is he doing enough, right? But when you start to win, now you go, okay, it's not about playing meaningful March games. It's about making the right moves to actually challenge. So now there's where the pressure is. And I agree with you in a sense, Lucas. It's year seven, but these last two years have been, are you good enough now? And, and you showed us false or not, fraud or not. In August, you look pretty darn good. And the moves you made, whether you were hamstrung or not, are ones that are now going to dictate the future of this team and how close they are. And I think that's the expectation of a Bo Horvat, of, of, of an Edler, uh, of you know a Brock Besser. You're supposed to get even better now, and you being better means you could be a Stanley Cup contender. And right now, uh, they've stepped back a little bit. And, and that's where you know the, the, the trending, fire-bending, Travis isn't going to last. It's all part of the expectation, something this team hadn't had to deal with for the last three years because they weren't good enough yet. I mean, I feel like that hashtag was there three years ago when this team, when they traded away Thomas Vanek for, for Tyler Mott. How did that ultimately work out? Um, we're six minutes to eight o'clock. Your Canucks commute is coming up at the top of the hour. Ian McIntyre will also join the discussion as well. We'll hear from uh, Bo Horvat. Thatcher Demko both weighed in on whether or not the organization or the players are pissed off at management. We'll uh, we'll hear from them. Uh, a couple of other people texting in here on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650, 650. Uh Brody, the city worker, says, guys, if you are trying to pick up new listeners, please do not ever play that song again. So uh, we'll stay away from that. And Perry, uh, 
uh, you're fe- facing a little payback here uh, as one listener texting in. I guarantee you the dog's going to come back and bark, and that's what they do. It's the only fun they have. You should be ashamed that that little dog got bit by your big, badass shepherd. Nah, she's not big and badass. She's got issues. Well, we've, we've patched things up from the human side. But thank you. Thank you for your opinion. <laughs> your Canucks commute is next right here on your home of the Canucks. It's game day here on Sportsnet 650. They're not coffee drinkers, but they still keep it right in the mornings. They always treat me with respect, and I'm, uh, you know, it's going to be different not to, to be able to go see anyone. But no, it is what it is, and you know we're there on a business trip and play hockey, and you know uh, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the Canuck commute on the starting lineup. Hour number three here on this Thursday morning. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and it's like that now, is it, Marky? It's like that. It's just a business trip when you're coming here. Coming here from Alberta to British Columbia. And you know how we feel yeah. about Albertans here in the province these days, right? I know you get the stink eye up when you see an Alberta plate on the highway these days, right? Driving through Abbotsford on Highway 1. You see that Alberta plate. You're, what are you doing here, right? Tanny, Markstrom, and their Alberta plates all rolling into town tonight for the first of four as the Canucks and the Flames kick off. It's your Canucks Commute presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski, and here we go, Per. It is uh, it is a stretch that is absolutely critical for this team. And, and, and as you pointed out in the outset here, 500 probably won't be good enough here for this team here on this trip. No. And let me say, as I said earlier, and, and listen, I'm a guy who, who spent – 18 years number. Don't give him a tribute tonight. Don't put it up on video. Don't rub salt in the wound. Be a jerk of an organization. Get mad. You know, let Tanif and Marky put it on social media. Uh, it is, James. We said it when they were getting thumped by Montreal. We said it when they were getting beat by Toronto. Uh, Travis Green, and I don't know if we have time to play it, he finally came out and just said the schedule for the Canucks has been brutal. This was a young team that could find no traction, no practice time. It was awful, but the fact is you've played that many hockey games and you were a third of the way through the season when you're finished with Calgary in this four-game series and you have lost a lot of ground. You can make it up by going 3-1 in this series. 500 not going to do it. You have to be better, and, and the last thing you want is the season to be lost, but so many people go, all right, if you're in the postseason when the Thanksgiving, U.S. Thanksgiving comes by in November, the percentage is 68% that you will be in the playoffs. We look at that. Guess what? If you condense it to a 56-game schedule, which we hope, by the way, they play, considering more games are postponed, you have to be better than that, and your halfway point is Valentine's Day. It's that marking in the sense that, yeah, here, here's Thanksgiving, prorated. Valentine's Day is like U.S. Thanksgiving. Are you in the playoffs? Yes or no? Massive series, and I just don't see the Canucks – they're not sweeping it, and I just question whether they can go 3-1. and one. It almost seems like the expectations are too big on this team right oh, now. Well, look, I mean, this is a team that's lost five straight games, right? It, it, it's hard to sit there and expect a team to go suddenly 3-4 when you've lost five in a row against a team that's already shown the ability to go 2-0 and oh against you this season. You know, I think you'd accept, I think at this point, it doesn't necessarily help you long-term. But you probably take a 500 trip here or 500 series, right? You go two and two. 
what I think you want to make sure is at least if you finish with more points than the Calgary Flames, right? You find a way to pick up a loser point. You know what? You know if you if you're going to lose in one of those games, you know get it to overtime, get it to a shootout, right? And try to avoid doing that. I mean, it's how do you predict this sort of thing? But to find a way at the end of this series, pair, no matter how it looks, but if you can find a way to pick up more points than the Calgary Flames by the end of this series, because Calgary has all those games in hand. They've got four games in hand right now on the Canucks. And that's where that's that's the danger, right? That the Canucks have just played so many more games. And Travis Green kind of alluded to this yesterday for the first time with respect to the schedule. Yesterday marked the four-week mark since the Canucks dropped the puck on this season. They played 16 games already. Think about that. That's 12 days off over the course of 28 days. And Travis Green pretty much echoed the sentiment that I think a lot of people have certainly felt with with the Vancouver Canucks. I think it's been brutal. You know, it's a lot of games, 10 games on the road. Uh, We own the losses, though. I'm not uh, saying that we deserve to win games that we haven't, but I think the schedule has played a part of our start. It's probably cost us, you know, I don't know, a point, two, three points. Who knows how many? But I think it's affected our group uh, physically in a couple ways. Greg Balica in my ear just pointing out that he only gets eight days a, a month off. So suck it up there, Canucks. Uh, you know, but in fairness, Pear, like the one thing you, you can point to the schedule and that it's been trying for the Canucks. But at the same time, it's not like this team has lost heartbreaking close games. They've been worked. Like, they've been blown out of the building more times than not so far this season, especially in those 10 losses. I was surprised Travis Green went there. Um, And and he tried to to, to curt it right away, but going, hey, we own our losses. James, the losses, as you said, it's it's amazing. Don't bet the Canucks to be anywhere near a goal if you're better, because they either win big or they lose big. Um, And maybe it's me, and, and people can text in. The text line is hopping, 650, 650. Join part of this conversation. We welcome it on the starting lineup. When I hear the word process, I always think that, you know, you're building something. Okay, you know, we got it. You know, the process, it, it's coming. It's a process. I'm just going, guess what? You have to have it built already. Like, we thought it was built. We're not rebuilding anymore. You can't say, I like how we played. Sometimes you play well and don't get the results. The numbers just dictate you need to get the results and that's why you hammer the pressure on these guys now is something they've never faced before. The expectations in the city, and I'm sure in that room, were that they were good enough. And we played it lots last week. And November 9th interview, I remember the day because it was that significant. That's when one of the Canucks own Chris Higgins said, we got to prove that we're not a fraud. And right now, people are going, what are you? Or a poll question going, hey, man, the season's done. Almost 50% of you think the season's done already. The numbers have to be great. It's not a process, and yeah, it was a brutal schedule, but if you don't figure it out starting tonight, this crazy season might be lost a lot quicker than we thought. 100%. Um, Now, there's been a lot of conversation, obviously, with Quinn Hughes' comments earlier this week, how they've been missing a few key pieces from last year, and it was... I think it raised a lot of eyebrows here in this market. It raised a lot of eyebrows across the hockey universe, and it was addressed by the players yesterday. Both Bo Horvat and uh, Thatcher Demko both, both addressed it yesterday in terms of whether or not the players are frustrated with management. Here's what the Canucks captain had to say. Obviously, it is tough to see guys go, but at the same time, you know, you got to move on and, and 
you know, play for the team that you're playing for. I mean, you can't dwell on, on anything and, and, you know, we got a great group of guys here and obviously a lot of good hockey players and, you know, because we lost guys doesn't mean we're, we're trying to play bad. I mean, we all want to win here and we all want to do well. So, you know, I, I don't think that's a theory at all. I mean, we're, we're, we're just trying to win hockey games here. So there's, there's Bo Horvat. Here's Thatcher Demko to kind of follow up that. You know, I don't think that anyone is, you know, holding that against management or coach, whatever. I don't know what the rumor is. I haven't seen anything, but um, guys, guys are focused on winning and, you know, guys are, they know that the business side of things is going to happen sometimes and guys are, are going to leave, get traded, uh, sign somewhere else, what have you. And, you know, guys are, are well aware of that and, and they know that, you know, you got to move on and, you know, focus at the ta- on, on the task at hand. So there's Thatcher Demko and Bo Horvat. I, I will say this, Pear. This is the perfect opportunity for the Canucks to try to turn things around. The conversation that, oh, this team is lost without Tanev and Markstrom, the history that the Canucks and the Flames have had over the last 30 years, there's been no more of a rival here in this market than the Calgary Flames. Look at the playoff history that these two cities have had. This is a perfect opportunity. Tanev, Markstrom, this is a little Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader from about, you know, back in the day in the original Star Wars, right? The student has to slay the master here. And in this case, this young Canucks team has to exercise a demon here and try to find a way to move on. I mean, it's a perfect recipe. I mean, they might fall flat on their face, but if you can't get up for this, then, man, there's no hope for this team, I would imagine. You know, I... I... I understand what, what Bo and Thatcher were saying about there's no issues with management and, and it's a business. I don't buy it. Uh, I shouldn't say that. I, I understand what they're saying, and I, I think that's true. But what they went through to have success like they did in August and then have their teammates and friends uh, get moved out because it's a business, I don't buy it in the sense that they know it's a business. That's never happened to them before. It's like anything else. When it happens to you for the first time, you react differently, and you you might take a little longer to realize, oh, okay, we've missed that, but you'll move on and you'll get by. And I almost think that was a little bit of self-talk yesterday, and likely from the head coach who at some point said, guys, move on. Even this fan base, move on. Yeah, you missed Hannah, you missed Markstrom, and you might miss him more this week, but you have to move on, and the players have to learn how to do it. And I do think it was more significant than we know, and they were challenged to figure it out. Quinn Hughes said as much on Monday, we've missed some pieces, and maybe that was the instigator to go, guys, like, forget about it. And so Bo addressed it yesterday. Thatcher addressed it when asked. I do think it was tougher than what they said. And that caused them some grief for a while. But like anything else, when it's gone, you figure it out and you learn to live without it. I do think it's a process that's taken this young group longer than we expected. Uh, this is your Canucks commute here on Sportsnet 650. It's a starting lineup presentation of Surrey Honda. Visit Surrey Honda located at 152nd and Fraser Highway where you'll find quality and community. Speaking of quality and a good community guy, let's bring in our uh, Sportsnet Canucks insider, Mr. Ian McIntyre. Hi, Mac. Good morning, sir. I, I, this feels like uh, these four games could be uh, – I mean, is it – is it a reach to suggest that this these four games, depending on how they fare, could uh, dictate the course of the future for this franchise, depending if they if they thrive or fall flat on their face? Well, I think it's kind of their last stand as far as this season goes to to get themselves back into the race or cling to the race. Uh, they just uh, you know with fifty six games or four games under five hundred and. 
it was great uh, the fact that they seemed to find their identity a little bit in that last game against Toronto and you know played probably their two best periods of the season the first two but now they got to now they got to win some games and uh you know I don't know that it alters the course of the franchise but certainly there are there are uh you know, jobs that are going to be judged, not necessarily based on these four games, but jobs that will be judged on how the team has has started this season, and and that's player jobs on up. So, yeah, they're big four games for them. Uh, Mike, what gives you reason to believe we'll, we'll find something that they've been looking for over the last four weeks that only shows up, sp- you know, sporadically? I don't know that there's a reason to believe that they're going to have to yeah. they're going to have to prove to people because they've played poorly a lot more often than they've than they've played well uh the 16 games and uh if but if not now then why would there be a reason to expect it any other time you know they all all things are pointing to now that if the, if they are going to make a stand if they are going to kind of dig in and get back in the fight it's got to be now you know they're coming off uh, a good performance even though they lost they're coming off a good performance they had a full day of rest they had a good practice yesterday just their fourth of the season the team is fairly healthy that really hasn't been an issue I mean I'm sure they've they would like to have had Travis Hamonick in their lineup all this time, but that, uh, you know, that hasn't been the issue, and uh, now it's time to go. If they're going to go, now is the time to go. If if they're going to try and do something about uh, saving this season, and uh, if it's not now, then I don't see when the circumstances are going to be better for them to do it. Mm-hmm. No, and uh, I mean that's that's the one thing. Like health has kind of stayed on their side now. Tyler Mott's out uh, for the foreseeable future, but yeah, sorry, I should mention Mott when I say about healthy. I mean he's he was had a good start for them, but he's a player from their bottom six. They've got all their all their top guys are available to them. So yeah, I, and, you know, outside of I mean Hamannick obviously has been sidelined for much of the season, but you're right. Like your best your best players have been healthy. And in theory, like this team is going to sink or swim with their best players, as most franchises do. And I mean, this is the whole notion that in the off season, I think with some of these losses, there was a belief from a lot of our listeners and for a lot of people here on the station that there would be a, ste- a growth from within. Right? Elias Pettersson will take another step forward. And I think a lot of people thought that he was. And whether Bo Horvat had more to give and whether JT Miller had another gear based on what we saw and Quinn Hughes for that matter. But kind of the two cornerstone franchise pieces have not been what any, every, what everybody hoped. I don't think anybody saw this really coming this way with the performance of Hughes and Pedersen for the most yeah, part. Yeah, and I would say it's, it's more than hope. You know, a, a player who's Expected. 22 and as good as Pedersen has to still get better. Like that's not really, that's not really a question about whether he can or whether he should. He has to. Like, at that age, you you have to continue to get better. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a year younger. He's only he's only 21. But then, you know, there's guys like McEwen and, and Gaudette and Ole Ulevi, who we haven't seen enough to really know. 
And these guys are all at the stage of their career. It's Thatcher Demko's another that they should be getting uh, better. And I don't think it was this sort of blind hope or a false economy that the Canucks uh, were counting on those guys to get better. They, you know, anybody in those in that situation should get better. Now, when we talk about getting better, you know, we're we're talking about big picture and. 16 games isn't a big picture. But I think all those players that I've just mentioned would say that they they haven't played well enough in these 16 games and that they need to be better. And and Quinn Hughes um, has said a few times uh, in the last year and a half that he's been on the team that he'll be, he'll be better, you know, 10 games from now than he was the last 10 games and he'll be better 10 games after that. That's how much he expects to still be improving at this stage of his career. Well, the, the, the first 16 games weren't, weren't very good. And that's an understatement. So the next 16 needs to be better, but if they don't start winning now, then games, you know, eight, 10, 12 games from now, it's not going to matter to this season. It's still very much going to matter to their development and what their place is uh, on this franchise. And let's not forget, Pedersen and Hughes are both playing for contracts that should make them the richest players or highest paid players in, in franchise history. They got a lot riding on this season. I mean, I, I guess that's pro sports. Like, there, there's never a time when nothing, when when it just doesn't matter, right? It always matters to individuals, uh, even if not so much to a team, but it certainly matters to the organization beyond this season. So there's a lot of guys who who need to do something in the 40 games between now and the end of the season but it's going to help their case a whole lot if those 40 games mean something because they can climb back into the playoff race. Ian McIntyre joining us um, to uh, talk about the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Elliot Friedman on Tuesday was talking about Quinn Hughes' comment on Monday. Now, if I could, I'm trying to get all the days of the week in this question. Um, and, and Quinn had said, listen, I, I think I've played better defensively, but he also went somewhere where players normally don't. Listen, we lost a lot of guys, and it's taken a while to get adjusted, if, if I'm to paraphrase. Uh, we played before you came on the clips from Thatcher Demko and Bo Horvat saying, listen, we're not upset with management. You know, it's a business, and we understand it. To me, those are true words, but Ian, I think they're, those are the words that they've been trying to tell themselves, but they've never dealt with it. They've never had success with guys and had those guys not return because of business decisions because it's a young group. Do you think that's just positive self-talk and they're just learning to get through this because they're a young group and it has affected them a lot more and a lot longer than most anticipated? Uh, it, well, it's hard to say, and only, and only they know that. The issue about guys missing teammates. Now, I, I had no problem at all with what Quinn Hughes said uh, on Monday. In fact, had he said anything else, like no, we don't miss those guys. I mean, you'd have wondered, well, what kind of a person are you? Like it wasn't, you know, Chris Tanev was his mentor. 
He, he was his partner uh, on the ice, on defense. But he was his mentor. He was like a big brother. They called him dad. He was like a big mm-hmm. brother. So for anyone in Hugh's position to say, no, nah, I don't miss Chris. Like, why would he say that? Uh, the issue about missing yeah. players is, does it mean you're not trying because you miss players? Does it mean because you have new players and it's not the same group that you're less motivated because it's not the same group? That's when you really have a problem. And and I don't think that's the case. Of course, of course guys miss Jacob Markstrom. He was their best player. He was a great guy. They all liked him. Everybody talked about how close the group was. So naturally, players miss other players when they leave but that's not you know that happens on 31 teams in this league and on you know thousands of teams around the world that happens guys build relationships they don't want them to end uh, as demco said yesterday though it, you know they know that it's a business and guys get traded guys leave guys sign other guys don't get signed that's the business if you let that affect your drive and your motivation, then you're probably not long for this business, uh, unless you're, uh, you know, a, an elitely skilled player. In which case, you'll make a lot of money. I'm not sure you're ever going to win. And and I haven't heard anything from players saying that, you know, because the popular theory, fairly popular theory, is that somehow. The the team was was so fractured that the guys just couldn't play. They're too upset, you know. They're angry, and so they're not trying. Well, that I, I just don't believe that to be the case. Uh, I I think they're upset or were upset and disappointed, and that they're they're trying as as hard as they can to come together as a team because they want to win. Like if you look at somebody like Elias Pettersson or or Pettersson and Hughes, both these guys, what they've done at every level, what they've done to get to this level, how much it absolutely burns them when people question their ability or whether they can do something. You tell me these guys are actually okay with losing because they're upset that some teammates left the team, didn't get re-signed? Not a chance. Not a chance. That's not in their DNA won't allow that. I just think it's they've got they there's no one thing. There's a lot of things that have gone into this, but one of them is that there's a, some very young core players who have never been through this, and and they're struggling a bit. That's one thing among many things, including the turnover, so that you have a new group that hasn't, as as Hugh said, still trying to figure it out with each other. It just means that they haven't, you know, they haven't, come together yet as a cohesive team 
and there's reasons for that, obviously, which I won't, you know, schedule, pandemic, border, on and on. So, you know, uh, I'd be I'd be worried if they if guys were okay with losing teammates, but I'd be more worried if they thought that was justification for losing. And I don't think any anybody on this team thinks that. Enjoy the game tonight, sir. All right, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, Ian. Uh, yeah, Mac. Ian McIntyre, our uh, Canucks insider here at Sportsnet, weighing in with his thoughts. Uh, don't forget pregame show at 5 o'clock this afternoon here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop, puck drop with uh, Brendan Batchelor and Corey Hirsch coming your way at 7. Uh, it is 25 minutes after 8 o'clock uh, here on Sportsnet 650. We'll weigh in. A lot of people jumping in here on the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll dive into that. Plus, uh, Brian Burke joined us one last time bright and early this morning with his thoughts uh, as he flies the coop to go take over as the president of hockey operations with Pittsburgh. We'll share our conversation with Berkey and uh, some of your thoughts as well. We'll get to the, all of that next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. 831. James Sabolski, Perry Solkowski. Kicking it with you until 9 o'clock this morning on this Canucks game day. Game one of four against the Calgary Flames here. Make a break moment for the uh, Canucks season, it certainly feels like here, Pear. Yeah, 50% of the people on our poll question this morning are right there, that this series is make or break. I'm kind of with you. 46% think it's already broken, and there's uh, 4% of the people out there, James. I don't know. No, they'll give it some time. Question is, if it doesn't go the right way, do we see time as far as decisions being made for the Vancouver Canucks? I don't know because of the whole situation with the lack of revenue and how can you fix a problem this year? Do you just kind of ride it out and see if you make your changes in the offseason? I would lean that way. And James, here, here's the tough part. We get set for every game. We, we recap the games. We do it with the Canucks in a song, all the post game. I just haven't had a feel for this hockey team for the last two weeks, and I think IMAX said the same. I have no idea what to expect today because it's been so inconsistent. Uh, absolutely. I mean, this team hasn't lost close games. They, they've been spanked. They've been spanked soundly for the most part this season when they have lost games. I mean, look, they've, they've given up the second worst goals against per game average at almost four goals that they allow on a nightly basis. It, like, this is almost like an 80s defensive hockey team right now, uh, the way it's kind of rolling. Uh, Edge and Port Moody texting on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650, uh, saying, point blank, do you two actually believe that Benning has done a good job, a good enough job, and should he still be the GM beyond this season? This is the season that is the line in the sand. I would say this, if the Vancouver Canucks get into the playoffs – if they win a round, I don't think Jim Benning's going anywhere. Do you? Like, if this Canucks team is back in the playoffs, do you see Jim Benning losing his job? I think if they miss the playoffs, Jim Benning's done. Oh, without a doubt. Um, boy, I don't want to pause. Jim Benning is, is good at, at some things. Spending money, you may argue he is not. And if I own a team <laughs> and I have to give someone a, a, a blank check, yeah. I'm hesitating. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm actually hesitating. Sure. And if I, if, if we, you know what, if we knew the inner workings of how he lost Tyler to Foley, 
uh, if it wasn't relationship building, because that's the one, James, you have said you can't let him get away. Now, I also said after watching Hoagland, and he's been great, and you know what? To Foley in a couple of years, they might be looking at $4 million go, ah, he's lost that step, he can't score anymore. But you needed to find a win, and so far there's no win to be found in any new player acquired right now that Jim Benning picked up in the summer. Uh, all right, uh, Brian Burke joined us bright and early this morning, and uh, in his final time as he takes over as the president of hockey operations uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, joining Ron Hextall, and uh, kind of broke down the hiring process and uh, went on a little bit about the current Canucks situation as well before saying goodbye here on Sportsnet 650. So I was talking to David Morehouse, who's the CEO of the Penguins. Okay. And I was talking to him about, GM candidates going through and saying, here's what this guy's good at. And and owners in the last few years have frequently called me and said, can we go through some of these guys with you? And I, I'm not a candidate, so, and I don't have an agenda. So it's not like I was saying, I want this guy to get it or I want this guy to get it. It's like, here's what this guy's good at. Here's what he's not good at. And again, this is a commonplace occurrence the last few years. So, I'm talking to him, and David talked to Mario that night. I think this is Wednesday night, I want to say. Last Wednesday. And Mario said, well, how do you have all this information on these guys? And David said, well, I'm talking to Brian Burke. And Mario said, Berkey? Why aren't we talking to him? And so next thing you know, they asked me about coming down there as the president of hockey operations. So I said, let me sleep on it. I would have said a flat no to anyone else. I, I, I turned down a president of hockey ops job at the draft in Vancouver two years ago. And then I thought, you know, it's Pittsburgh. I, I, I want to do this. Uh, you have been in the fire as far as hockey markets here in Vancouver and in Toronto. You got to the top of the mountain in a hockey market in Anaheim where a lot of people didn't care about the Ducks. And, and your job there was to let them care and, and let them know about the Ducks. What's What's the job in Pittsburgh? Because it seems like, you know, a really nice fit. Yeah, they love the Penguins. There's a great history there. They may not be the top of the food chain. Uh, what will your goal be there to achieve? Well, I, I think talking to ownership, talking to Ron Burkle and Mario, the goal is let's see what this group can accomplish. Let's see what we can do this year. If we can add to the group, let's see what we can do with this this group. Then the hard decisions begin because you've got Chris Letang with a year left on his contract. You've got uh, Evgeny Malkin with a year left on his contract. So we're going to see what we can do with this group, and then we'll see at the end of the year. What's that conversation with Sidney Crosby like? Uh, you, you mentioned last night uh, on, on Wednesday Night Hockey that you, you, you've you talked anyway. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. It's, it's that simple. I mean, this is a guy, if you look at what Sidney Crosby has accomplished in our league, uh, and I joke with him about how close he came to being a duck. Like, we came in last or second in the lottery the year he came into the league. And I'm telling you, like, we were doing the show on TSN, and I thought we were going to win. We got down to, now I got a 50-50 chance of getting that, that name come out of the, the drum. It's Sidney Crosby, right? Generational player, which is an overused term because there are very few of them but generational player, and I thought we were going to win. Like, I'm up on the stage thinking, I don't know why. You had a 50-50 chance. If you were a rational person, you'd think, well, it's 50-50. But I was convinced we were going to win. And so I, ever since then, whenever I see Sid, I hold my, my thumb and my forefinger 
about a quarter inch apart, and I said, this close, said you were this close to being the duck. And now I get to work with him. So I, I admire him. I admire what he's done, not just for his team, but internationally, even though it's obviously a heartbreaker for me when he scored the golden goal in Vancouver and we won a silver medal. But I've admired this guy and, and, and talked to him and been friends with him, you know, just to see at the rink, not friends. Yeah. So it was great talking to him. Say, here, look, I said, said we'll get in there, we'll see what's going on, and we'll we'll talk more. But like people say to me, are you going to involve him in decision making? Like star players have been involved in decision making for teams for twenty years. Like I talked to Marcus about everything when I was in Vancouver. I talked to Mess before we made Marcus the captain uh, in in Anaheim. You don't think I talked to Scott Niedermeyer about the direction of the team? I mean, that's how it works. Berkey, I, you won't remember this, I will, because it was really funny, but it might have been the first town hall going to communities that you did. You were there. Crow was there. Crow was nervous as hell, and you didn't want to pay anything, so I was kind of the MC to get it started. We probably had about 200 people there. I don't know if we were Abbotsford or Surrey. And I didn't know what, how are we going to do this? I wasn't sure. I just read your record from the year before, and it wasn't good. And then I asked everybody to bow their heads and say, let us pray. It got a giggle, but it reminded me that that was you going, this is what we're doing. I want to talk to the season ticket holders, and I want to build it. Um, I, I don't know if we have parameters in this, but we've always brought you on to talk about the Canucks. It's a massive series. Now that you're employed by another team, can you give us your take of what we're about to get into here with four against the Flames? Well, I, uh, this is my last show, so I can say whatever I want. I'm, I, th- I think the problem is right now the team is really struggling, really scuffling. And it's it's a variety of things. They, they lost some key parts. They lack confidence right now. Uh, and it's easy to kick the Vancouver Canucks when they're down. And that's that's the schizo market. You know, like When I worked in Vancouver, we didn't have the social media. That was just coming in. And now it's crazy there. They, they lose two games in a row. They want to fire the GM and fire the coach and trade seven guys. It, it's nuts. And it was not like that when I was there. We had pretty fair coverage. We had notable exceptions, but pretty fair coverage. And I didn't have to deal with that thing, that that, that social media craze that, that Benji has to deal with. And if you focus on it, for me, if you focus on it, you look at Jim Benning's drafting record, it, it's exemplary. Like, they never won the draft lottery. They got screwed a couple times. They got bumped twice, I think, and still came up with Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, Besser, Hoaglander. Like, how did we miss on him? So I'm like, he's done a really good job that way. Brought in Travis Green, who everyone seems to like, and I do too. Well, who hired him? Did they just find him? Jim Benning hired him. Now, the cap issues they have are self-inflicted. That's on the GM. I can't, I can't help Benji with that. But they've done some really good things. And when you're, when you're scuffling, everyone disregards the really good things you've done. So I would say look at the body of work. They've got to come out of this. Their senior player group has to lift them out of this. The Millers and the Pedersons, and even though Pedersons young, that group has not played like it played last year. Now, their goaltending hasn't been good enough. Uh, hopefully that'll come around. They missed Tanev, no question about it. But they, they, I, I, to me, the notion that you've gone from, everyone thought Jim Benning was a genius after the bubble, right? Didn't they? Didn't yeah. everyone say, look at this team? Eh. 
And I, now, I, th- and I now think he, I think there were, he, he definitely curried some favor um, during the summer, but I think at the the it certainly was a lot of backlash when you got to the off season and and how things kind of played out too. Yeah, and 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 the guys that left left because of cap issues. It's not like Jim Benning said Tyler Toffoli is a bad player. Mm-hmm. He paid a high price to get him, and he was really good for the Canucks last yeah. year. It's not like they said, well, he's a bad player. Let's just let him go. They let him go. They had to let him go because of the term and money that Montreal gave him. But when the cap issues are self-inflicted, that's hard to explain. And so you got, okay, the Luongo contract, which is not Benji's fault, but that's $3 million. Yep. You got Louis Erickson, which, which he's a great guy, and he's actually a decent player, but people hate him because he makes too much money. That's self-inflicted. Sven Berichie's self-inflicted. And so they'll come out of this at some point, but right now their their top lead their top player group is not playing well enough. It's that simple. And there's not a team in the league that can win if their top players aren't playing well. Look at Toronto, the run they're on. Look at what their top players are doing. So Berkey, with with that with that being said, I mean it looks like Montreal and Toronto are kind of the the, the cream of the North Division here. But when you look at this series here with the Canucks, with Calgary, with what's at stake, it's a four-game series here. Um, they're six and ten on the on the year. You know, this is a team that if you're going to try to get a playoff spot, this is one of those teams you're going to be jostling with. It's you know two key former guys who are part of the organization. There seems to be a real sense in this market. I think Perry and I both kind of feel the same way that this is kind of a a make-or-break moment for this team. But you know, if if they bomb in this series, like. Is everything on the table here? Like, could could heads conceivably roll here after this? Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen. You look around the NHL, and there's no revenue, right? Teams are playing the season is costing the owners more money than not playing would would have cost them. So this is this is not they're they're paying seventy percent of salaries, twenty percent cap on escrow, ten percent deferral but they're playing on a 56-game schedule. So they're getting killed. The owners are getting killed. And I've been asked this on national television, do you think this GM's in trouble, this coach is in trouble? And I've said the same thing. I don't think owners are interested in paying two salaries right now. I just don't. I think GMs and coaches are safer than they've ever been because right now revenues are a trickle. It's been fun, Berkey. We've known each other for a long time. I know our listeners have appreciated. Uh, James and I get a kick. I won't speak for SIBO, but you've ripped us, and we've ripped you, and I think it's uh, we appreciate it. I think it's a sign of respect from you. You've been good when we've reached out off the air, and uh, you love hockey, and I know you weren't expecting it, but it's awesome you're back in the game. Well, I'm happy to be back, but I want to thank everyone in Vancouver for tuning in, and uh, I loved my time there, and I wish the Canucks nothing but the best. There he is, Brian Burke. Last time here as a regular contributor, uh, as he now takes over uh, as president of uh, hockey operations of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it'd be fascinating to see where the pens go because Brian has been on record pair in the past to say that, look, I think the window's closed on this core with Crosby, mm-hmm. Malkin, and Latang. Uh, I guess the question is now, and it certainly kind of suggested that, you know, you'd like to maybe try to cut bait on. You know, Evgeny Malkin here, who's got one year left on his deal after this, and you got Latang with one more year, but it's Crosby for four more years, right? If he wants to stay, I don't think anybody can protest that, but the question is, does Sid want to go win? Because it may not be happening with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't see him leaving. I think Sid calls the shots. I don't think Sidney Crosby hurts you in a lineup because he'll continue to play and lead. 
and you get everything from him. Be interesting to see. Uh, you know, we just played a portion of that. Burke, you said his team's not. You know, the truculence isn't there, and the Penguins. Does Brian Burke's style of hockey, and he talks about that Anaheim team as he should. He thought they could beat you in any way you wanted, and they were tough, and they had a great third line. They had the scores, and they they had a pronger and a Niedermeyer on the blue line. That helps when you got guys who can play in half an hour of a hockey game. Um, but how much does he change the complexion of that team immediately? Uh, good for Brian. We Man, we enjoyed his Thursday conversations. A lot of people text in. He was great. But it'll be fun to see Burke now as we've gotten to know him to see – Hextall and Burke and what they do with that Penguins team uh, immediately and in the future. Some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul show. Reminder, pregame show 5 o'clock this afternoon here on Sportsnet 650. Puck drop with Batch and Hershey coming your way at 7. It is game day here on your home of the Canucks. We're Sportsnet 650. Starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to 9 o'clock here. Uh, it's the starting lineup, a presentation of our good friends over at Surrey Honda. Visit Nasir and the gang over at Surrey Honda, located at 152nd and Fraser Highway, where you'll find quality and community. I'm James Sabolski. He's Perry Solkowski. Uh, Scotty, ready to take on over on the Scott Rintoul Show at the top of the clock. Uh, no shortage of star power there. Cliff Averill. Former Pro Bowl uh, defensive lineman dropping by. Brendan Morrison, the Mo Factor from the West Coast Express, dropping by at 10.30. And a Vancouver Canucks player will join Scotty at 11.30 this morning once they're off the ice uh, down at Rogers Arena. Um, so, Pear, here we go. I mean, it's a it's a big one here today. And uh, let's see if this team can finally right the ship. But there's motivation there. There's a sense of urgency. It's all on the line here as they open up four straight against Markstrom, Tanev, and the Calgary Flames. You know, we do our Mr. Fix-It with Ken Priestley from uh, Dunbar Lumber, Stanley Cup champion every Wednesday. But our text line this morning, brought to you by Dunbar Lumber, by the way, is kind of like a fix-it suggestion. Maybe try Hughes on the wing. It's going to come down to Jake. I mean, I I think people are reaching right now, James, and I understand. I appreciate social distancing. We needed to get away from the Canucks for a couple of days. I'm glad we did. I'm glad the team got away from each other. Glad they practiced. I just don't know what we see. I do think whatever transpires in the next four games pretty much dictates this entire season. The inconsistency has me scared, though, and it sounds like people are you are trying to magically figure out a fix. We'll see what happens. Uh, we got to get out of here. Uh, Brian Burke, uh, thank you to Berkey for joining us here and being part of our mornings every Thursday uh, for the last couple of years, and uh, we certainly appreciate his time. And as we say goodbye, Brian, uh, we look back on some of our memories, our fondest memories of his stories here on Sportsnet 650. I remember the coaches called me after the game. Jim Benning got in a fight. I'm like, what? Like, Benji never fought. Jim Benning, who doesn't fight, went right after his own goalie for being a selfish jerk. It was great. Edmonton is beautiful this time of year. Um, The All-Star game sucks. But the Pro Bowl is a joke. The NBA All-Star game is a joke. The NHL All-Star game is is just a a watered-down version of beer league. 
when they're not worried about getting knocked on their ass, they do some pretty amazing things. This is one of the biggest piles of BS ever assembled. That's all BS. It was just a fantastic day. I got sunburned, probably had too much beer. Um, it was a great day and I was all by myself. Don't say it. Do not say what you're about to say. Because you're about to ask for a trade and then I will trade you. It's easy to fire a coach, but you gotta hire a coach too. The worst part about playing on that line for Brendan Morrison was how much the other two guys complained. You know, Brendan wouldn't have his teeth in, so he's got that little lisp when he doesn't have his teeth in. Yeah. And if you go like, what do they think, they're 7-Eleven? They're open all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Did the Roxy help or hurt your teams out here on the West Coast? It helped. It helped. It's, you know, I had a lot of buddies in the police force there, and uh, we got up-to-date reports on who was in the Roxy <laughs> and how late they were there. Really? <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, pregame show, 5 o'clock this evening here on Sportsnet 650. Batch and Hershey with the call at 7. Canucks and Flames right here on your home in the Canucks. It's game day here on Sportsnet 650. Don't let your love.